does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Now, Mark, let me ask you a question, Mark Dykton. Okay. It's 7 a.m., right? Uh Uh-huh. People ask me this question a lot, so I'm going to ask you. Because I think people find it of somewhat intrigue. Although, if they're hearing my voice right now, they, too, are up at 7 a.m. But my question for you would be this. How long did it take you to get used to getting up at this hour? Uh, not too bad because I was doing overnights for a few years and stuff. So I was doing, uh, you know, dealing, dealing with all that with, uh, being up at like crazy hours and all that. So, I mean, the transition, I was usually up until about 6 a.m. anyway. So switching it to actually not being up that early wasn't too bad. Okay. For me, it took, I don't know, a couple of months. I mean, I, I, I have always been an overnight person. I've always been a night owl. I worked in local t- – the first 15 years of my career, I worked in local TV. So you'd get off work at like 1 o'clock in the morning. Maybe not that late. 12, 12.30, you'd leave the station. A lot of times I would go to the gym at like 1 a.m. I would go to bed around 3 or 4. Uh-huh. Then I did an afternoon show for 12 years after that. I would still go to bed at like 3 or 4. So then w- working this job, now I've slid it back. I go to bed around 1 or 2, right? So you get that solid three hours of That's sleep right. maybe. But no, but kidding aside, it, it took my body a while to train a little bit. And even still, like we talked about it yesterday, there are nights where I just don't sleep. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know why. And then I'll nap during the week. Anyway. Yesterday was a great nap day. It was a good nap day yesterday. Um, the reason I say it, if you are the Indiana Pacers, are you having to retrain your body again? Because you're in action tonight taking on the Boston Celtics, but you've been off for the All-Star break, which feels like seven months. Yeah, it has been a long All-Star break. And then not only that, but you were all the way in Utah, so the time change and whatnot. So now you got to get your body clock back on Eastern time, which could be a little difficult, too, for those that travel out there for that. So, yeah, and it's a tough test. Celtics are the best team in the East, so it's not like they they got a cupcake schedule right out of the gate. And the Pacers have that game before going on the road. After that, they... I mean, literally, it's right back to the road, and they've got a long road trip. So, chance tonight at the Fieldhouse to get things started in, I guess, if you want to call it the second half of the season, but as Mark had mentioned, against a really good team. Good morning to you on, today's a Thursday, right, Mark? It is a Thursday. Good morning on a Thursday. It's supposed to be a good-looking morning this morning. Uh, my name is Jake Quarry. That is Mark Dykton, Kevin Bowen down in Florida. We'll be back with us. Next week, it is Kevin and Query here on 93.5. did you hear that? And 107.5 The Fan. What's that? You that hush sound. It was fire Mike Bray is what I heard. I think that was Kevin from Florida <laughs> saying that. Hey, not that Notre Dame had anything to play for last night, but North Carolina probably is the one that dodged something, right? Mm-hmm. By North Carolina beating Notre Dame. Can you imagine if they lose that game, that might have been North Carolina's punch card out. Oh, for sure. Without question. <laughs> Without question. Just happened to be at the expense of uh, Kevin's Irish last night. Um. Did you do anything fun last night? I did, actually. Um, Ashley works, you know, during the work evenings and stuff. So, like, afternoon to evening, she's usually gone. And she had mentioned, oh, the Chick-fil-A in Whitestown has, like, a daddy-daughter, like, event going on. So, I was like, oh, okay. So, I looked into it, 
went down to it's a bra, all three girls, and we went to Chick Fil A, and they had like free Sundays for all the kids, coloring books, fruit snacks, bubbles. The mascot cow was running around oh, yeah. and everything like that. They got a big kick out of that. It's actually fun. So just talking to some other dads who were not as outnumbered as I was, and like, wow, you've got a a car full, and I said, yeah, I know. So it was not too bad. It was a fun time. Let me give you a Jake Query fun fact. You've never had Chick Fil A. No, I like Chick Fil A. Okay, a lot. Who doesn't like Chick Fil A? Um, Probably the chickens. Good point. That's fair. So, when I was born, my family lived in Shelbyville, but I was born in Indianapolis. My parents are Indianapolis natives. So, I was born in Methodist, but my family lived in Shelbyville. Well, we lived, I mean, it's in Shelbyville, so it wasn't far from a farm. And when I was of the age that you're talking about, I don't know, a toddler, my mom would take me to one of the farms where I would, like, look at the animal, you know, whatever. And I loved cows. Uh-huh. And my first word was cow. So when I was, I don't know, two, I got a stuffed cow, like a stuffed animal cow, not a real cow stuffed, but a mm-hmm. stuffed animal that's a cow, uh, appropriately named cow. Oh. It's a very unique name. And now cow, and I don't know if Chick-fil-A would like this because cow has both udders and horns. I don't. Is that possible? Is it possible? I think so. Do do horn do, do dairy cows have horns? Not that I've or seen. Or just bulls? I, I, just I don't bulls. know. So like it, it appears to be. You know. But anyway, um, I have had cow, my stuffed animal, uh-huh. for my entire life, and to this day, I'm not afraid to admit this at seven o five in the morning on the radio as a sports radio announcer, even though I'm setting myself up for total mockery. Uh, cow is still in my bed to this day. Wow, Shannon doesn't mind sharing. No, cow's not that big. Okay. Well, that's good. But yes, cow, I mean, cow's kind of an auxiliary pillow at this point. But yes. That's like my, we had a, I had a Cow will go six feet under with me. Is that unfair, <laughs> though? Because I think about that and I'm like, I don't know, though. Like, if I die, does cow really need to go with me? I mean, he's been there with you that long. <laughs> What's the little while? Well, might as well go with the worms with you. <laughs> I guess. We had a big stuff. We had this giant, like, I mean, giant teddy bear when I was a kid, like, just giant. There's a picture of me as, like, a two-year-old, and this bear is, like, probably, like, four feet tall. Don't you wish you still had it? My parents claim that it's still in the basement. There is no way in hell that thing is still in the basement. There's got to be, if, if it is, it's got to just be completely moth-ridden or whatever. But my mom's like, oh, it's over by the Christmas decorations. I've looked for years. There's no way that thing is still there. Yeah. I think it's down there with your beanie babies. I'm like, yeah, Mom, okay. So you went to the Chick-fil-A event last night. Uh, I did. It was fun. We went, I went to Hairspray. Yeah? Which is a musical mm-hmm. not, i didn't want to go now do they still use hairspray i don't i haven't in a long I just, time I, I think they did away with the aerosols right like now it's like a pump maybe but i bet you can still buy hairspray well, you can stores. still buy hairspray but i don't think it's like in the like spray it's oh. like a pump because the aerosols are bad the cfc's are bad for the ozone oh well i'm pretty sure you can still buy some I, i'm pretty sure my mom has some in her drawer in her house but they um they had several cans of hairspray in the play itself and then i was fascinated by what's actually in the can because if it was aerosol hairspray like they're like singing and it's flying around like wouldn't that like make you cough you'd think so so it's got to be water or something they put in it but uh anyway it was at mirat it was enjoyable it was pouring down rain when we got there and there was uh, it took a while to get everybody in mm-hmm. so we were waiting in line outside there and were this was of, where which, which venue the mirat okay old national Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was good. Nice. The, 
I would say of the Broadway, the traveling Broadway musicals, I, I would put it probably in the middle of the pack, but it was it was good. I think the last Broadway show I saw was Book of Mormon in Chicago, like which is really seven good. years ago. It's very good. Yeah, it's very good. Uh, on the show this morning, by the way, we'll talk about the Pacers. Scott Agnes going to join us at eight thirty. At nine oh five, Zach Keeper joins the program. We now have kind of a clearer picture on what we talked about yesterday in terms of the cycle of assistant coaches. One would think, Mark, that they've got to have all of this pretty settled out by the time you know the combines what next week yeah yeah week from week from today will be our second show there uh by the way jake hairspray is still aerosol i don't know that that's accurate right well they got to change the name then they can't call it hairspray and then it not be a aerosol but i thought Hair for sure there were, doesn't sound I thought great for either sure there were like rules against laws against that they, they can't oh. use chlorofluorocarbons, right? CFCs. I don't know. Anyway. They can't call it hair pump, though. Well, sure. I mean, it still sprays out when you when you hit the, the – it's just a different mechanism. I, I think I think it's hairspray, literal, still. I, I, I know. I can't be hallucinating this that, like – You very much could. You said you got three hours of sleep on a good day, so – Well, I got decent sleep last night. Um, but the Colts – Situation. I mean, one would think that they've got to have their staff essentially intact before the combine, right? Oh, without question, you have to. So, yeah, especially the reports that Bubba Ventrone is basically adios, see you later. Uh, that creates a vacancy for the special teams coordinator, and they still have to figure out an offensive line situation. We'll get a, a little bit more insight on their offensive coordinator, Jim Bob Cooter, when Mike DeRocco, who covers the Jaguars, joins us to round out the show. And then we'll have Zach Kiefer. We'll ask him all the pertinent questions. He'll join us at 9.05. And Scott Agnes will give us our Pacers-Celtics preview uh, today at 8.30. So we've okay. got a nice show lined up. March 27, 2020, our prolific use of CFCs caused incredible damage to the ozone. The historic ban on hairsprays helps ozone layer to heal. I, I can't be hallucinating this, right? Look, I'm taking geology classes right now, Mark. It's I mean, 709, and I shouldn't be having to Google hairspray <laughs> for sale on a work computer. It, it seems to me, from everything I've researched on the production end here, that they were declared a universal waste in 2018, and so companies have been stepping back and using them, but no outright ban has been like enacted on a federal level. Yeah, I can buy some hairspray right here at CVS. Okay. Boom. This okay, it's still aerosol, but it's not CFCs. It's a compressed air. That that that's that's what I mean. I mean, like it's a different mechanism than what was originally done. Okay. Right? Well, that makes a more little more sense then. But yeah, so the Colts will have some vacancies to fill out. I don't know if Shane Steichen's going to look at his head coaching or his, his staff that was with him in Philadelphia, or he's going to start looking elsewhere. But yeah, they are going to have to make some decisions and probably make them relatively quickly. Uh, given that the combine is a week away, I'm kind of interested in the fact, even though I think we all know, and we talked about it, probably at this point it's, you know, a dead horse at this point. But Jeff Saturday, I, you know, when when Saturday was here as the interim coach, the narrative from a lot of fans was they should definitely, at the least, keep him as the offensive line coach. Mm-hmm. Now that that position is open, I hardly hear anybody mention Jeff Saturday's name. I just think because it's such, so out of the realm of possibility in, in the fact that you actually think he would take that job given that it would be, you know, in his in his eyes and for most people's eyes, it would be a demotion. You went from head interim head coach to offensive line coach. I think, you know, I'm, I doubt the pay is even remotely the same. And then you're also going to have to answer to the guy who replaced you. 
and all that stuff. Well, I, I also just, think if you're Shane Steichen, that's probably not what you want. Right. right. I, I don't think that's what anybody in, on either party wants. I don't know if that's what Shane Steichen or Chris Ballard would want. I don't think that's what Jeff Saturday would like either. So I think I think that's also why you're not hearing it is just because it seems like a a bit too far out there for someone. You know, I don't I don't think Saturday's any kind of interest in doing that. Now, just so you know, I'm not I'm not threatened by you sitting in that seat. Yeah. You know what I mean? It shouldn't be. I'm, I'm not lunging at you. <laughs> no, I'm very comfortable. We we are a fraternal group in here, and so when you slide over into the the co-host thing, it it's not a threat, but rather a, an enjoyed camaraderie. You don't think that the Colts would have that if if Jeff Saturday was suddenly on the, in the coaching room with Shane Steichen? I can't imagine. So, like, oh, that's the guy that was talking to us for eight games last season. Now he's coaching the offensive line, trying to get them right. Uh, what do you make of this situation, speaking of the Pacers and the NBA? And I, I have a feeling maybe we'll talk more about this over the course of the show, but uh, have you followed this situation with Brandon Miller in Alabama? Dude, I was watching. I, I could not believe he was playing last night. And just the hostility that was going on with that South Carolina crowd and Listen, all that. I'm like, what uh, are let we me, doing? Let me recap for people that are unfamiliar with this situation. And, I, and I'm going to push back a little bit on what you said, and, which is I'm a little surprised that I am, but. You're going to make me slide back over there, though. That's right. So Brandon Miller is obviously an elite-level talent. He is considered a top-five prospect in the NBA draft this year. He is a freshman at Alabama. I'm saying this for those that are unfamiliar. And there was a situation, I believe in January, where another Alabama player, and I, I can't recall if it was a current player or a former Alabama player, Either way, it is now a former Alabama yeah, player. Darius Miles, who, yeah, they said was no longer with the team. So he was involved in a fatal shooting of a female. And it has since come out in the last week through police records that the weapon that was used in this fatal shooting was delivered by Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller got a text message from Miles that said, hey, like, I need heat. I need, a, I need a gun. So Brandon Miller brought him a gun. And then Davis claims that another man fired the gun. But either way, that gun was used in a fatal shooting of a, an intentional fatal shooting of a female. Alabama has been, it would seem they have disregarded the severity of it. I, I don't know whether, and that's maybe unfair to say, but there was the expectation of, well, his year's done. I mean, he can't play, right? And they, they've said, no, he's, he's involved in no wrongdoing. He's going to play. He had 41 points last night. They went into overtime. He hit the game-winning shot. He had 41 points and eight rebounds. Uh, it is the highest scoring total for a freshman in college basketball this season at the Division One level. And he seemingly was totally immune to the chants around him from the visiting crowd who were chanting guilty and you know all kinds of things when he was at the free throw line, lock him up. Uh, he, he did not seem to notice or pay attention to any of it. Now, I, I'm curious what that means for his draft status because, truth be told, from a pure basketball playing standpoint, there are probably teams that would be like, man, for that guy to block that out and zone in and have that kind of game is impressive from a basketball standpoint. Mark 
believe it or not, I actually, the more that I think about it, did he break the law? You can make the argument all day long about the morality of his behavior or his involvement, but did he break the law? By the letter of the law, did he break the law? Now, in Indiana, and, and you know, Guy Relford would know better than I, for example, but in Indiana, for example, I mean, I had a high school classmate that is still in prison because he was involved in a homicide and didn't report it or do anything about it, and thus in Indiana he was charged with accessory to murder, which is a felony the same as murder. Uh-huh. I don't know the Alabama laws. I'm not an attorney. I don't know the weapon laws. I mean, he delivered the weapon, but did he know what it was being used for? I I mean, someone says they need a gun. I can't imagine you're like, oh, they're just probably going to, you know, there's got to be some kind of I, idea what's going on there. I don't disagree. However, there is a difference between there is a danger in assuming what one thinks or knows without knowing the totality of it. So for all we know, and I'm playing devil's advocate, but for all we know, he was under, and, and I realize this is probably a stretch, but the the case could certainly perhaps be made that he was under the impression that Miles felt threatened or heard somebody the night before breaking into his house and thought, I need to protect my, who knows? I have no idea if he knows that there was some sort of an issue between, you know, with this woman. I have no idea that background. But the slippery slope for Alabama, and I'm almost – I've thought a lot about this, Mark. When I was a kid and I was a diehard IU fan, and IU played UNLV, and, you know – at that time, like Lloyd Daniels was was rumored to be being recruited by Jerry Tarkanian, and and there were other guys that played for UNLV. That the narrative was like they don't they're not students they don't they're not going to college to get an education they're just going to play basketball. And we were brainwashed in Indiana into thinking that this was like the wrong approach. And I, and I don't even mean necessarily from a race standpoint, just from a severity of academic reputation standpoint. And then as I've gotten older, I've realized, and in particular as I've worked with young people throughout the city that come from different backgrounds than I, I have realized that there is actually something to be said for basketball being an outlet for young people that to provide them opportunity that they maybe would not have. And that they, in Brandon Miller, I don't know Brandon Miller's background, but if he is from a background where the the delivery or trade of a firearm is there's a normalcy to it, then that's probably a background that there is a responsibility as an adult, as he is a young adult, towards trying to wean him away from that lifestyle, if you will. And basketball might provide that. And the University of Alabama is in a unique situation and a, a slippery slope because you don't want to deny somebody the opportunity and the right to better their life or their family's life and position in it. But at the same time, you want to hold them accountable and responsible for activities that might be in defiance of that exact opportunity. And in his situation, um, it could go both ways. But but if he did not, by the letter of the law, break the law, how do you hold him out? Yeah, but I think, like you mentioned, I mean, 
If you're providing a gun that was used in a murder, that sounds like an accessory to murder. Now, I again, I'm not a law, I'm not a law person. I don't know all the all the ins and outs of it. But I mean, I'm I'm assuming if you're providing a a weapon that was used in someone's death, that probably means you have some kind of culpability. And if not, you should at least be, you know, maybe on like a suspended list or something like that while police look into it and everything like that. I just think between, you know. Alabama just kind of like shrugging it off. Nate Oates' comments the other day were wildly tone deaf. Uh, I just, That's fair. Somebody I, I, just sent me a thing. Jake, this is a news story, not a sports story. Okay. Right. So if he doesn't play sports, we're not, the reason we're talking about it is because he's an athlete. Right. He plays sports. He had 41 last night. A and top he's five playing, prospect. He's going to be a top five pick in the NBA draft, potentially. Yeah. Um, somebody else just pointed out to me, and this is fair. He was said, the, the person that called Brandon Miller said, bring me my gun. Now bring me a gun, bring me my gun. Again, we'd have to, I, I don't know all that. We'd have to look into that more and stuff. But, I mean, I, if someone tells me bring him a bring him gun, I'm kind of like, ah, I think I'm going to stay home for tonight. I think I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A or something. That's fair. But, again, <laughs> I, I just think, I think that we live in a world, and I'm probably going to get crushed for this, and, and maybe rightly so. But I think too often in our society we and I'm not I'm not exonerating him in any way, shape, or form. I'm not saying what he did was right in any way, shape, or form. But I also think that we as people, as a society, are increasingly guilty of automatically making applicable our background and our experiences towards that of everyone else. And, and it's understandable, but yeah, I just it's not a messy. It's a messy situation. I, I still don't think he should, regardless of what his he had some role in it. And I just think even with that with that cloud just holding you know its head over the Alabama basketball team, that it might have been best for him to sit out. I agree. I understand he had a hell of a game last night, but I feel like between the chance of the crowd and just all the all the media attention that they're getting all of a sudden for all the wrong reasons, that I I, that I would have held no, out. I, I I get it. I mean, I, I absolutely see where you're coming from. Uh, we'll get you caught up on what happened last night. And then, as I mentioned, Scott Agnes going to join us just over an hour from now. It is a good-looking start to the morning. I say that a lot, it seems, lately. Thank goodness, because the sun is rising, and it's supposed to be a good one today. On a Thursday in Indianapolis, it's Kevin Aquari, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. NBA season part duh underway i don't know if you could say that because there are what 22 games left of an 82 game schedule right yeah so, the, the all-star break there's a halfway point i'm like ah, that's i'm not good at math but that's not that's not good math oh i'm becoming a math whiz oh i know spent uh you know i have taxes are done i'm assuming oh long time ago my algebra class that i had to take and i was terrified of i got done with it and then they said by the way you have one last class you have to take which is an all-encompassing potpourri math class I have the world's greatest tutor, and uh, yesterday, together for an hour, got an assignment done, and then I'm the college experience is, is over with for me uh, May 4th, but who's counting, right? When is the keg party? Uh, the PBR party, uh, maybe sometime after that. We shall see. Uh, maybe we'll be sitting around talking about, Mark, the fact that the Pacers and the Celtics are in action tonight at the Fieldhouse. That's right. Tyrese Halberton, fresh off an all-star appearance and uh, three-point contest experience he uh he talked about who's coming to town tonight their opponent for this evening obviously playing boston who we went and uh i mean we won the game closely but we were up big in the, in the first half so 
I mean, JT told me he's, they're, they're coming for us, so I'm excited to play against other, you know, other great players. I mean, I think the best part about now is like keep talking about the sense of urgency has to pick up. Well, we only got 20 games left, so sense of urgency really has to be there. And like I said, it can't be a panic thing. It's just got to be being locked in from the start. Uh, you know, everybody came, everybody was here to practice today on Tuesday, getting all the, you know, sluggish basketball out now, so we're ready to go by Thursday. Pacers at home again tonight against the Celtics before starting a four-game road trip on this weekend. Pacers-Celtics can be heard on these airwaves starting at 6.30. A college basketball last night. Let's start out with the Crossroads League. We don't give much attention to the smaller schools. Taylor, 78-74 thriller last night in overtime over Indiana Wesleyan. Indiana Wesleyan's ranked Taylor 14-15 and 15 now on the year. But a big win last night for the place where I spent a lot of years as a basketball camper as a young kid. Uh, Marion also winning over Bethel in the Crossroads League last night, 81-70. That's the quarterfinals of their league. Butler, 59-58 winners over DePaul last night in Chicago. That's a much-needed win for the Dogs, 14-15 and overall, 6-12 and in the league. Not like either team was going anywhere, but you're talking about two teams that are trying to find some footing to finish off the year. DePaul down 9-19. and Mark, you mentioned it, North Carolina squeaking one out over Notre Dame, 63-59. How is it possible Notre Dame's two and fifteen in league? They're so bad. They're so bad. I can't imagine why anybody, and I mean anybody, would want to watch Notre Dame basketball this year. But I guarantee you, Kevin Bowen was on vacation with his family and was like, "No, no, we can't do anything tonight. Notre Dame's playing North Carolina. There's it's a big no way game. You watch that game. Oh, I bet if I shoot him a text, he'll say, "Yeah, I watched it." Uh, Bradley over Valparaiso, seventy six sixty six. Belmont over Indiana State, eighty nine eighty eight. Trees now twenty and ten. They're thirteen and six in the mobile. So too is. Uh, Belmont, for that matter. Illinois, Chicago, 81-76 over Evansville last night. Tonight on the college slate, it is Tennessee Tech at Southern Indiana. That game at 8.30. Also at 8.30, Purdue-Fort Wayne at Milwaukee and Robert Morris and IUPUI at 7.30. IUPUI just 4-25. Robert Morris actually just bringing a dude named Robert Morris. They're, the the rest of the team staying home. It's five on one, so that Indiana, so that IUPUI can try to go. Five I need to get in on that money line real quick. Then, if that's the case, <laughs> you, think that's, you think that's even an open line? I don't know. We'll see. Right. Uh, and then I, I watched a game last night. It was very good. United States women uh, top Brazil two to one in the She Believes Cup, fourth straight win for the uh, the women. Alex Morgan with a goal. Get Mallory Swanson with a goal. Very good to see the U.S. women get the victory. Where was the game? The match? I don't remember to be quite honest. If you had to guess, where would you say? Sam, do you know? Was this a was this was it on domestic soil? I believe so. I'm going to go with Pasadena. I'm going to say they played in Pasadena. What time were you watching? Uh, this was about probably seven thirty eight. Was it under the lights? Night. Yes. Then it's not Pasadena. It was in, it was in uh, Texas, apparently. Where in Texas? You're asking too many questions right now. Irving, El Paso. <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully, a Bucky's was nearby Austin? though. Well, if it's in Texas, guarantee there was a Bucky's nearby with like a 600-square-foot flag. Toyota Stadium, wherever that is. That's in Houston. It's got to be, right? I'm assuming. There's a Toyota Arena in Houston. Do we know where Toyota Stadium is? Can you look that up? Frisco, Texas. There you go. You know what they have there at the Bucky's? Frisco Melt. And it's wonderful. It's been a long time since I've had a Frisco Melt. They used to have them at the Steak and Shake in Nora, and now, sadly, that's closed. Well, that is disappointing. So we, yeah, we got banned for life from there in 1991. Chris Farkas was on a toot one night, and we got banned for life. Whenever you and Farkas get together, someone's getting banned from something. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, Scott Agnes is going to join us in an hour. Uh, but when we come back, 
NFL Combine on the way. What exactly are we going to be looking for? We'll get into exactly that because I'm starting to see some change that might affect where the Colts draft. I'll explain. Kevin and Query here on 93.5107.5 The Fan. You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. Well, now you've done it, Sam. You've upset Jake with uh, smashing pumpkins on this Thursday morning. Beautiful Thursday morning. Looking out the window. This song is great. This song is fantastic. Well done. Don't worry, Jake. I have you set for later. I'm I'm appeasing both sides today. I'm a neutral arbiter. Thank you. Every time this song comes on the radio, I will listen to it. I I will say, when it comes to the Smashing Pumpkins... They are a band that has no in-between. People either will throw you down a flight of stairs over them, or they're like, I'd rather be thrown down a flight of stairs than listen to them. There's no in-between, right? I mean, there are certain bands to me, and we're going to get into Colts chat here in just a second, but there are certain bands to me, Mark, that, that fascinate me that have been around forever, but you never meet anybody that says it's their favorite band. Mm-hmm. But yet they've been... Like, uh, I'm trying to think of an example of what I'm talking about. I mean, who is your favorite band? Let me ask you that. The Foo Fighters. Yeah. So, that I mean, there are a ton of people that if you ask them, they're like, oh, man, the Foo Fighters. You know, people- I, I feel like I have a good one. It's like the like Third Eye Blind. Like, you'll go to their concerts and they're packed. But I yeah. don't think I've ever heard anybody say, like, my favorite band is Third Eye Blind. Right. So, I actually went to the Third Eye Blind concert. My, I was told by somebody that worked at the venue, I was... I went to the Third Eye Blind concert, and I was going to, you know, I don't know, get a beer or whatever, and I run into a, a buddy of mine who picked up a part-time gig working the security at the venue. And I'm like, oh, hey, what's going on? And so I'm, ta- I'm asking about, so how did you, and he's like, well, I just love concerts, and so I, I got my evenings free, so I got the job here. Oh, cool. And I said, how is it? And he said, it's cool, but I will tell you, this is the biggest diva band uh, that we've had, like, in, I've done this for two years now, and they think that they are the Beatles. And it was Third Eye Blind. I'm like, okay. And he's like, you have no idea how demanding they've been. Uh, Green Day would be that one. Like, everybody likes Green Day, right? But do you ever meet anybody that's like, man, that's my favorite all-time band? The first band I was ever in was, I was the only person whose Green Day wasn't their favorite band. Yeah, my really? my, my yeah. little brother, my youngest brother's favorite band was Green Day. A, a lot okay, what of about people. Stone Temple Pilots? Fair. Yeah, Stone Temple Pilots. I like, they're cool, right? Yeah. But, like, nobody's like, oh, man, I can't wait. Of course, now yeah. you wouldn't be able to. But uh, at any rate, so I saw last night there, there's kind of an increasing chatter. There are two players in the NFL draft that there appears to be, and, and there's always a lot of poker playing that goes on. And the interesting thing about, the NFL draft, in the NBA draft to an extent, this is the time of year when players are the greatest prospect ever. There is never, if you were a, if you were worried about, if you had a, a, a young person that you knew that was a potential draft pick, you know, your, your nephew, your, your son, whatever, mm-hmm. your brother or you, and you are coming out of college getting ready to go into the professional draft, whether it be NFL, probably not Major League Baseball because you don't have the level of scrutiny, but NFL or NBA. One of the challenges is keeping your drive, keeping your focus, and not getting caught up in the hype. 
And you know, one of the one of the nuances of what we do, Mark, social media has changed a lot of things. And when we're talking about a subject on the radio, it's easy for us sometimes to say to get driven by what people are talking about or reacting to on social media. Uh-huh. Well, you should see the Twitter chatter. They're, they're all talking about this topic. Or I said this and people really gave me backlash on Twitter or on Facebook or whatever. And it's very easy to get caught up in that without taking a step back to realize that the small percentile of people that that actually represents. That's not to dismiss. I mean, I love social media. That's not to dismiss it. I'm I think saying, the problem is like it tailors to your like likes and everything like that. So you're like, man, everyone's talking about correct, this. And then it's, correct. You, you like, start actually, living. You start living in an esoteric niche of a snow globe that you are that that, and that's the problem that we have to a great extent right now, is that people are convinced that because they are surrounding themselves with the chatter of what is catered towards their thought process, that that means that that's the thought process in totality. I think right now the same thing happens with prospects. This would be the time to make sure that they're not totally caught up in the narratives or the esoteric conversation about them because it is so nuanced for the next two months. And people are convincing themselves about – they're talking themselves into players. So players – their players' stock has never been higher than it's going to be right now. Once they get drafted, then they start getting torn down. But leading up to it, you start convincing yourself – do you remember during the NBA draft before the and, and Kevin was on Benedict Matherin from the get go? But I remember like Dyson Daniels, I think, was uh-huh. the guy that and yeah. then Shaden Sharp. Mm-hmm. Like we were convinced that all of these guys were absolutely the next Kobe, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, I remember that. You know, and then they get drafted and more often than not, eh, just a guy, right? Mm-hmm. Just a guy in the league. You, you know, you're watching a game, you're like, Oh yeah, there's a guy that averages eight and a half points, three round three rebounds a game. Just a guy. I feel like the teardown will happen when the combine starts going on. When you get like hands, like the yeah, Kenny Pickett with the hand size yeah, last right. year. Remember that? You're right. And then if someone doesn't bench press enough, they're like, ah, you only did 20. But right now, as people are, are starting to put players through the car wash, as they call it, and really analyze different aspects of their game and break down film and everything else, two guys that I've seen that have so far early in the process – started to be to, – there's increased chatter about are Will Levis and Anthony Richardson of Kentucky and mm-hmm. Florida, respectively. Levis, I saw a, a very detailed analysis of him um, that basically said ceiling of Matthew Stafford, possibility at times decision-making of Carson Wentz. That automatically gives everybody around here pause, I realize. Yeah. That's basically a four-letter word. But a big arm can make difficult throws, big body. And you look at it and you go, okay, if he's got Matthew Stafford potential, sign me up, right? Mm-hmm. Richardson is one out of Florida that I think intrigues people because very athletic, super strong arm. Apparently kind of a weird dude. I mean, I don't know him at all. But that's that's always been kind of a, a weird narrative about him. But also another one that people are starting to say, look, you know, the talent level is there. And then C.J. Stroud of Ohio State, obviously. I've started to see some people saying that they think Stroud might be the better prospect than Bryce Young, which Jim Ursa doesn't appear to agree with that. Who knows if there's a smokescreen. My point being, there may be an increased chatter or possibility 
that you can get a quarterback at four, and I've said this all along. I don't know this is factually to be the case, Mark, but you have to explore the fact that there is the possibility that the gap one to four of the quarterback that you're going to get is not as great as the value of what you would give up to move three spots. And maybe you're better off staying where you are. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair uh, – again, the whole the whole point of moving up to one in my eyes, if you're a Colts fan, is you're trying to avoid getting your second or third option at quarterback and especially trying to prevent Houston from getting possibly your top guy you have rated on your draft board. So you don't want to see that guy on the opposite side of the field for the next decade plus if you're a Colts fan, which is why I think that you're seeing a lot of people like, you have to go get go get one. Go get your guy. And I can't argue with that one. I think you know, it's a great point that you would want to keep it from your division rival. Plus, you want to get the guy that you think Shane Steichen could get the most out of in his first year as as a head coach of the team. So, uh, some of the some of the draft like potential compensation I've seen now. The most recent one was on this thirty third team website. The Colts moving up to the number one spot, and I have to imagine with what you just said that you're going to push back on this one uh, to get Bryce Young. The compensation as of right now will be the fourth overall pick, the 35th overall pick, the 79th overall pick, and next year's first-round pick. Okay, the next year's first round is what gives me pause. Yep. 35th and 79th, I mean, still really good picks there, but Mm -hmm. I I, I go back to, and I know that sometimes, and I apologize to people that I reference things that were a long time ago. They don't seem long ago to me sometimes, but I, I get that they are. The Colts as a franchise have taken a quarterback number one overall. Burt Jones went second, I believe. They've taken a quarterback number one overall, what, four times. John Elway, who refused to sign, and so therefore they sent him to Denver. Peyton Manning, we know how that worked out. Andrew Luck, we know what happened there. And then Jeff George, Mm -hmm. that was not in sequential order. I will never forget being a junior at North Central High School and Rob Hendricks, my radio TV teacher, saying they just made it official. The Colts are sending Chris Hinton, Andre Risen, and I think Picks for to Atlanta to for the number one pick in the draft because they're going to take Jeff George. And, I mean, obviously we knew, and I didn't like Jeff George at the time because I was at North Central and he had been at Warren and he'd knocked out North Central like every year and – he was at Purdue, and I was an IU fan and whatever else. But I certainly knew, especially coming off his year at Illinois, what kind of player Jeff George was. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, 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 could, you didn't live in Indianapolis and not know the arm Jeff George had. But I remember thinking to myself, even at that time as a dumb junior in high school, well, that seems odd that you would trade your best lineman and your best receiver for a quarterback. And then what happens? But Jeff George gets here, and – you know, he's sitting in the huddle and he's looking over and one of his linemen throws up on himself before the first snap in Buffalo, I think it was, in his first game. And he says, man, I'm glad that you were as nervous as I. And the lineman goes, no, nah, man, I'm I'm just hung over. He said, oh, okay, well, this is going to be an interesting experience. <laughs> and, and Jeff George knows better than anybody exactly how many lights were in the lining of the Teflon at the RCA Dome because he was on his back all the time mm-hmm. looking up, counting them, because they couldn't protect him. Yeah. And he had nobody to throw to. So, you know, it didn't work out. They they gave up too much to move up to get him, and that's my concern. I'm not saying the Colts aren't completely depleted of talent, Mark, but 
they are, in fact, still in a position, as obvious by the fact they won four games, of not having the flexibility to mortgage and give away a lot of stuff to move up. They just don't, they, they need those pieces. They don't have enough difference makers on the team. They have some good players, but they don't have enough difference Correct. makers on either side Correct. of the ball. Correct. The and other thing they don't have, this is, this is the challenge for Indianapolis, for the Colts. Who would you say are the four be- – we're going to do it this way. Who are the four best players the Colts have? Four John- best players on the roster. Jonathan Taylor. Okay. Shaq Leonard. Okay. Boy, after a lot, I'll still say Quentin Nelson despite last season. Okay. And uh, DeForest Buckner. Okay, good. So DeForest Buckner's been in the league how long? Five. Five, five years, I think. Taylor. Still on his rookie deal. Leonard. He's got a new contract. So he's four five. or five, right? Yeah. And Nelson. Mm-hmm. Just finished three. Is that yeah. right? Uh-huh. You're in a situation where you're drafting a rookie quarterback. You're putting that rookie quarterback in as your new pillar of your franchise. You're in a conference with Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert. Seemingly, there's a four-year window here of acclimation for a young quarterback and while waiting for lanes to open because of the guys that I just mentioned that are all 26 or under within your conference. Mm -hmm. So, you draft C.J. Stroud. You draft Anthony Richardson. You move up, you draft Bryce Young, whatever it might be. By the time those guys are into year three or four, now your pillars, Jonathan Taylor, if he's re-signed, is in year six. Shaquille Leonard is at the end of contract two. He's in year eight now. Quentin Nelson is in year six and has already started to have injury problems. DeForest Buckner is in year eight at that point. Now all of a sudden you got guys long in the tooth. You need to replace them uh-huh. with rising talent that is ready to step in. That's difficult to do when you have sent next year's number one, a 35, a 79, elsewhere to move up three spots yeah no i agree it's steep i know it's steep because i, I looked at it, I was like wow that's that's the first three picks this year and then next year's first that's that's a tall order to move up three spots but again i think that's that might be what it costs to get up to number one so it depends on how much chris ballard and shane steichen like someone enough to move up to number one to go get them because it is going to cost you a ton to move up because not only do you have to leapfrog the houston texans but you have to leapfrog whatever other team is trying to get up to number one and outbid them for the Chicago Bears' number one overall pick. There are questions. Every quarterback that's available to them. And that's the thing. I don't know if there is a franchise quarterback right. in this draft or how much they actually, you know, water finds its there's level a, and they all Mark, sink down to the same. There's a difference between a guy being a franchise quarterback because the franchise taking him needs a quarterback. Uh-huh. You know what a franchise quarterback is? A franchise quarterback is a guy that's going to be a great quarterback regardless of franchise. Right? Right? Mm-hmm. This may well be a draft where the top four quarterbacks in it are guys that are situational franchise quarterbacks. Anthony Richardson could be the next Jalen Hurts in the right situation. Will Levis could be the next Josh Allen in the right situation. You know, Josh Allen was not a guarantee, but if you looked at Josh Allen's numbers and you really scrutinized it once you ran him through the car wash, to use that term, Josh Allen is a guy that if you looked at his numbers as a junior at Wyoming – 
they were pretty darn good and pretty darn impressive. Then they dropped off drastically, and people are like, see, he's wildly inconsistent. No, actually, all of his receivers left. And now all of a sudden, instead of throwing to you know, guys that he's used to, he's got three new young receivers that are learning an offense, whatever else, and we've seen how it's all come together for him. Levis appears to have kind of that combo, and, and people are intrigued by him. Josh Allen, I remember saying last year, Josh Allen's going to make somebody a lot of money. Because there are quarterbacks that people are going to look at and get intrigued by the quote-unquote arm talent. Justin Herbert's the same way. He's going to make somebody a lot of money. Because people are going to fall in love with the ability to throw across the body, deep balls, etc. And they're going to convince themselves and talk themselves into the fact that the guy that they are looking at is going to be the next one of that. What they don't talk about is he may also well be the next Carson Wentz or the next... You know, I'm trying to think. You know, Trey Lance is a guy that I, he's been intriguing, but have we seen anything? Yeah, Justin Love. Enough. Yeah. Remember Justin Love? Like everybody has to get Justin Love. Jordan Love or Jordan Love? I mean, yeah. yeah. And and that's what I mean. Hell, I can't even remember the guy's first name, yeah. right? Because he's buried in Green Bay, and they they keep dealing with the headache and the scrutiny of Aaron Rodgers. If Jordan Love was the guy that everybody anticipated that he was going to be, then why wouldn't they just go ahead and say, you know what, enough of yeah, move on. the nonsense and let's move on here. Yeah, and I was thinking we were talking about the. And they still may. We're talking about the combine and the scrutiny. I guarantee you the the big the big scrutiny that's going to come out of the combine is what Bryce Young's actual height is. Totally, because everybody's all right. He's he's what, undersized. He five ten, five eleven. I mean, he's listed as six foot. People hey. will say that's a stretch, and uh, yeah, that'll be interesting. I think, and and I like Bryce Young. I think he's very dynamic, but it also is his is his size going to be able to hold up through a full NFL by, schedule? By, by the way, I. I just have my physical at 50. Uh-huh. Are you shrinking? Yes. Uh-oh. I was in the pool, too, but 6'3 and 5'8s, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm 6'4. I've been 6'4 my whole life. Uh-huh. Now you're 6'3 and 5'8s. No, I'm 6'4. Now, I've taken algebra, and you round that up because that's still over, that's still over 6'3 and a mm-hmm. half, but 6'3 and 5'8s barefoot, and I'm like, so I'm heightening now. Uh-oh. Yeah, my good my inserts from the Goodfeet store. I'm heightening. Oh. Back to six four, baby. You'll be able to ride the Disney rides again one day. <laughs> That's right. Don't don't let Mickey know I'm heightening. Yeah. Well, uh, we got we got a full show still coming your way. Scott Agnes going to preview Pacers and Celtics coming up at eight thirty. Zach Kiefer will get into more Colts talk, especially with Bubba Ventrone likely leaving for Cleveland. He'll join us at nine oh five, and then we'll round out the show show with uh, ESPN Jaguars reporter Mike Duraco, who has some uh, Cooter talk for us. Jim Bob yeah, Cooter. Yeah. JBC. Yeah. Yeah, Jim Bob Cooter. We're gonna get to know, get to know some coot. So uh, we'll talk to you. J- JBC. <laughs> we'll get more into that. But right now, we're gonna hit a break real quick. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Kevin and Query, ninety three five one zero seven five. The fan. It's Kevin and Query on ninety three five and one zero seven five. The fan. There we go. Now Sam's spinning the hits. Most overrated band of all time. It's a, it's a safe choice, but it's my favorite song of theirs. It's a good song, for sure. What's uh, your favorite song by Guns N' Roses? Oh, boy. It, it varies. Um, I mean, that's up there. You know, the, the intro, and this is so generic. You know, I mean, obviously, as a Guns N' Roses fan, you're supposed to be like, oh, coma. You know, some off, you know, deep cut. They've got a ton of them, man. My Michelle's really good. Um, Dustin Bones is really good. I figured something from Garden Chinese Eat. Democracy was right in your wheel. I, I had that in my back pocket, Mark. I was waiting to use it. 
Shackler's Revenge Catch, is my favorite, Catcher too. in the Rise, not bad from that album. Uh, good morning to you. It is a Thursday. My name is Jake Quarry. That is Mark Dyke and Sam Fritz capably filling in on the big board. Kevin Bowen back on Monday. A lot to talk about over the course of the next couple of hours, including we've been talking about the Colts. We'll continue that conversation. Zach Kiefer joins us an hour from now. Bubba Ventrone, is he definitively out and on his way to Cleveland? It, it would appear as, so, uh, appear as though that is the case. And when he goes there, if he wants to go to a baseball game, he will be going to see the Cleveland Guardians, not the Cleveland Indians. And you probably just heard it mentioned or have perhaps seen the news. Uh, credit to Dana Benbo, who had the story in the Indianapolis Star from Bruce Schumacher of the Indianapolis Indians, that they've done, and I think it's been a two-year process by which the Indianapolis Indians have done a lot of research, a lot of um, studies on whether or not they should change their name. And I see and understand both sides of it. I'm not trying to hedge by any stretch of the imagination. But I have friends that are of, you know, Native American culture and background, Navajo, um, Indian specifically. And I I totally understand both sides of the issue. Now, It's not necessarily my place to determine how people that are affected or impacted by something uh, do or should feel, quite frankly. But what the Indianapolis Indians decided after this study and research, and I thought it was interesting that Bruce Schumacher was like, hey, we ran into a situation where there were certain areas of Native American um you know, people of Native American backgrounds that were that encouraged us to move on mm-hmm. and change the name. There were also certain areas and pockets of Native Americans that felt like in order to keep the, you know, obviously the history of Native Americans in Indiana or Indians, if you want to use that term, obviously, that it was important, you know, to, to be able to have that knowledge and that history kept alive by people saying, well, what are Indians? And then learning about the background. Um, Let me read to you the following, which will be read apparently, and I don't know if that means actually over the public address or on the, the video boards before each game at Victory Field upcoming as they are keeping the name Indians. Quote, as we prepare Victory Field for today's game, the Indianapolis Indians wish to acknowledge the Miami Potawatomi, Shawnee, Delaware, Peoria, and Kickapoo people on whose ancestral homelands this field was built. We honor these grounds and all indigenous people who continue to reside in Indiana and celebrate their resilience and strengths, end quote. The reason that I have always felt, Mark, that the Indianapolis Indians, that I didn't have issue or problem with them carrying on that name, are twofold, maybe threefold. Number one, the you know, Indiana is the name of the state. Indianapolis means city of Indiana. Indiana, by all account, essentially means like like you know Indian uh, land of Indian, right? Uh-huh. The land of the Indians. I had a license plate once that said Indiana, the land of the Indians. Um, 
I get that that Native you know Indians is the name that we assigned them as opposed to although there is always been some discussion or debate I have no idea how accurate that when Christopher Columbus first came here of course he thought he was in the Indies which is why he said Indians there's also some theory that when he went back because he was Italian but his expedition was funded by the Queen of Spain when he went back to Barcelona to report to, not Madrid, but to Barcelona, where he met with her to report on what he found. He said, people puros indios, which he thought was meaning people of a, a godlike people. But his Spanish was not great because he was of Italian descent, and he, he said Indians. And, you know, there's there are a lot of different stories there. My point being, I don't believe that there has ever been, and maybe I'm totally wrong in this, and I apologize if I am, I don't believe that the term Indians has ever actually come originally under malice intent. Perhaps over time, the the understand atrocity, you know, the understood and recognized atrocities of what happened to Native American people or Indian people, that then became linked to being a derogatory term. But I think what was the issue with the Cleveland Indians, for example, is the character, the caricature. That's yeah. exactly right. Chief Wahoo and the caricature of it. Now, the Indianapolis Indians were guilty of that at one time. Uh-huh. No question. When I was a kid, they had, I mean, they had, I don't remember if they, I, I think they had for a few years, you know, certainly the Atlanta Braves had Chief Nakahoma, right? I mean, if you watch Hank Aaron, when Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's home run record, if you watch, when Hank Aaron comes to home, crosses home plate, there is a... And a brave mascot, like in full headdress and everything else, and that's Chief Nakahoma, who was actually, I believe, like an, an Asian guy dressed as a Native American that like greets Hank Aaron at, at home plate. The when I was a kid in the early '80s, the Indianapolis Indians used various mascots. One was a baseball with a headdress on it. The other was a caricature of an like a big smiley face caricature of an Indian throwing a baseball. And I do understand why people of a Native American background would would say, "Look, we're not we are not characters. We're not cartoons. Right. You know, we are not. You know, if you want to use Indians and do it in a in a sense that recognizes our tribal history, that's one thing. But we're not cartoon characters. And I think that the Indianapolis Indians, when they rebranded themselves, I don't know when it would have been in the early two thousands, did an appropriate logo." that recognizes, and keep in mind, you know, Victory Field sits right across the street from one of the great museums of Western and Native American art in the country. Uh So, you know, right there you have directly across the street the, the understanding of the brilliance and the, the beauty of Native American art and culture. And I think that their logo, and, and I don't want to speak for people that are of indigenous tribes, but according to Bruce Schumacher, and I believe it, after a two-year exhaustive study um, of going around, and, and, and I think they, they, they went around and talked to as many people as they could, and to recognize those groups that lived here in Indiana, I think it is appropriate because it keeps... And, and there is a danger in history of moving forward from things and then burying it to the point where you, you don't know about it anymore. And this allows 
for a young child that goes to a game. You take your daughters to a game, right. and eventually they say, now, what are Indians? Well, let me tell you about the people that lived in Indiana before we lived here. And now you are recognizing them in a tasteful and respectful manner. I personally think that it's th- that what they did here is very well done. Yeah, I, People may disagree with me, but... I don't know how you can disagree with it, quite honestly. If you're acknowledging, you know... The culture and everything like that. You're not, like you said, you're not making a caricature of their their culture I mean, or their ways or anything like that. In hindsight, and it's it's a it's amazing to me, Mark. I mean, in hindsight, the and using the word Redskins for an athletic yeah, team is awful. Like, I mean, that's pretty bad, mm-hmm. right? And I can't believe, and I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of it totally. In the fact that when I was growing, I didn't think anything of it. Didn't or think the, anything of it. Or calling it the tomahawk chop as you do the all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of whole bunch of stuff that. But yeah, the the Washington Commanders was a a name change that had to have happened and probably should have happened like a decade earlier at least. So, um, but yeah, well done by the Indianapolis Indians. Uh, very excited for the season to start when that does end up happening, and very happy that they're going to have that message play during every home game. So my friend Lori sent me this. I have a recollection of being young. She's the same age as I, and attending Indians games where there would be an Indian who would come out of the teepee in center field and dance when the team got a home run. I think that's correct. I, and, again, I don't think he was named Chief Nakahoma, but I think in the in the mid to late 70s for, like, a season or two that was correct. And I, do they still have the teepee? In- the teepee, oh, boy. I, I want to say I saw – I mean, it, it was there the last few seasons. I can't remember if it was there throughout the entire entirety of last season. But I know it had been there, but it was kind of like vacant, and you know you could go buy it, but there wasn't no one was coming in there unless like kids were running in and out of it. But it wasn't like they had like a mascot. Well, they definitely Rowdy have, wasn't coming. But out I, don't, of I don't know if they still do. They still have it out there. It's I don't know. That's a great question because I know they're doing renovations as well uh, in the off season. So I, I don't. I I used to take that way when we lived in Avon. I haven't driven past the stadium in a little bit. So I, I don't just know. think the logo is appropriate because it's. I mean, again, the the. You know, there are also those, like, when I was in high school, and I don't know if they still do it, because Anderson High School, things have changed so much just in in general. I mean, they no longer play in the wigwam, for example. But I think they still do this. They had the the, the Anderson Indians had the mascot that had the full headdress, and they brought out a peace pipe before the game and, like, would pass a, a, a fake peace pipe to the cheerleaders of the other team. What? And... I see both sides of it. I could see how that's seen as a derogatory caricature. And then at the same time, it it, it actually, I, I think, I'm not going to say that it was, resp- I mean, I, it allowed for people to understand the heritage and history of that area. I mm-hmm. mean, Mound State Park is right there in Anderson. Which yeah. is, have you ever been to Mound State Park? No. It's pretty cool. It's mounds. Yeah? It's not the candy bar, right? <laughs> no, no. There's not an Almond Joy State Park also. Okay. Uh, Mountain State Park is where, uh, near Anderson, where they have circular mounds that are, you know, I don't know, thousands of years old that are from, I, I think they believe that it was like, either, you know, some sort of a burial ground or ritual site for, and I don't know if it was the Potawatomi or the Miami in, you know, Indians that lived in that area at the time. But it's pretty fascinating. When you go to it, it's pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. These round, circular. If nobody's ever been to Mounds State Park in Anderson, 
they should check it out because it's pretty cool. I will put it on my list of things to do with the girls. I mean, I I personally was like, um, when I went to it, the history of it and just to think that people lived there that, I mean, obviously we know that people did, right? But you mm-hmm. just, you kind of forget right. about it. Um, this is also the week leading up to, you know, obviously culminating on the weekend with Purdue and Indiana. I had said, Mark, and believe you me, how much would I have gotten on this? When Indiana and Purdue played the first time in Bloomington, I said before the game, I think I even posted it, Indiana will win by five at Assembly Hall. They're going to lose by 15 in West Lafayette. They won by five at Assembly Hall. Uh-huh. If they lose by 15, what would what do you think I would have gotten on that parlay? I don't know, because usually you can't parlay games that far out in advance. So I, it's hard to tell. To exactly, though? But you would change the alternate twice. Mar- you can change the alternate margin like to fifteen for the for Purdue, and you can see how you wager that way. Advantage or disadvantage for Purdue that when they get together at seven thirty on Saturday at Mackey that 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 they've had a week off. Advantage, I would say Think so. Yeah, because I mean we saw certainly for Indiana they need it. Yeah, I was saying we saw Indiana struggling. Trace Jackson Davis in particular struggling the other night when they played Michigan State. Granted, obviously extenuating circumstances of what was going on with uh, the Spartans and everything, but still he just looked tired. He had seven turnovers. Uh, you could tell he could probably use a break at this point in the season because of the load he's had on his back. So I think, yeah, if Matt Painter's staff, if Zach Eady can get a couple extra rest days heading into IU, how can the Boilermakers not be beneficial? Uh, you know, there can be rust this late in the year. You know, Painter himself basically said, like, you know, it's rough. Like, you want to kind of keep going, right? If you're rolling, you want to roll. Mm-hmm. But they hit a wall a little bit, too. I mean, how many st- court storms have they had in the last couple of weeks against them? Three? True. So, I mean, they could have been hitting a wall themselves, so maybe this is a nice way to reset, get their I mean, they minds lost right. they two or three, the right? Yeah, heading into the last couple three stretches. three or five. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I can understand from that side of it, you don't really want to get too much of a layoff for you guys, but sometimes it is good to get away. That's why NFL teams always like having the bye week in the middle of the season, you know, because then you can get ready, for, you can reset and kind of get ready for the second half of the season. So, Especially if, I, if Purdue's got as big of a aspirations as they do in March Madness, then I think the week-long off now between now and IU will be good. And then heading into the last couple of games, get those done, and then you see where you fall in the tournament and go from there. So, But I'm telling you, Indiana against Michigan State, looked they're the ones that look like they need fresh legs oh, for sure. instantly. You yeah, know what I mean? yeah, they looked exhausted. They looked, I mean, again, there's a lot of emotions going into that game and all that stuff, so they had a lot going up against them and heading into it. But... You could just tell, especially the way that second half played out. That I mean, yeah, they were like, "Can we, can we be done with this now? Can we go home?" Like, I think, I think they're ready for a little bit of a break. And now they have their arch rivals that they got to take on West Lafayette on Saturday, so they don't get much of a rest. By the way, Anderson did do away with the Indian dance and the peace pipe last year, apparently. So thank you, gotcha. um, Brian Hammonds, amongst others, that pointed that out to me. Jamie, I appreciate it also. Um, yeah, I think Indiana is the one that that <clears throat> if you. For Indiana, when you look at it, IU's problem, man, is they got three in a row here where they've got it. They've got to get them. I mean, Purdue and then Iowa and mm-hmm. Michigan at home. There's not really an opportunity to just kind of rotate in some players. We've seen that in the past. I remember years when Indiana had the Big Ten clenched, and so they went out and they rested players. And there's always something to be said, good and bad, about that. I mean, the the. I think for both teams at this point, 
it would be beneficial. But I also understand the other side of it, like Painter's saying, that it can cause some rust. I mean, you know, ask Colts fans, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I said it the other day. I think I think IU, when it's all said and done, heading into March Madness will be about a seven seed. And that means they've tailed off a little bit, and I think they're kind of hitting that right now. I don't know, Mark, that they – I mean, right now, I think they're solidly – at the very worst of five. You really think they could tumble two more spots? I mean, they're going to have to – because they got Purdue. Right after that, they've got they're, Iowa. And Iowa's going to want to get that game too, and then they round it out with Michigan. So, I mean, but, all those teams are in the hunt. And I, But if they beat – Especially if Trace Jackson Davis is hitting a bit of a wall right now. I mean, who's the who's, – But then you got the Big Ten up? tournament. Yeah. With the chance to – let me see the latest bracketology, which we know is all-knowing, right? What is today's date numerically? Two twenty three twenty three. Is it really? Yeah. Well, then, this is this bracketology. Joe Lenardi's slacking, man. He hasn't updated in two days. Has he got a life or something? <laughs> Almost inexcusable. Uh, Indiana, as we know, when the NCAA released their like preview, Indiana was a four, and a um, they are still a four. But that was before the Michigan State game. I, the Michigan State game doesn't tell you that much. Let's say they're a five right now. Mm-hmm. If they're a five right now, Mark, they'd have to lose. I think they'd have to lose all three of those to fall to a seven. I'm not ruling that out. Like you said, you've got them getting smoked by Purdue by 15. Right now, the seven seeds are actually interesting because three of the four Big Ten teams, Maryland, Providence, Illinois, and Michigan State. Granted, you just lost to two of them. But so you think Purdue or you think IU falls no no lower than what a five? I think Indiana. I mean, obviously, if they get blown out and lose out here, they can tumble. But when you consider the Big Ten tournament and you know the chance there, and and I think they get look these games Iowa Michigan at home, they win both those, right? I don't know. I was. I mean, they probably lose at Purdue, but Iowa Michigan at home, they they win those. I think if they win, look. There's no, there's no major crime in losing at Purdue. No, Purdue's the number one seed. Purdue's been number one, ranked number one, probably longer than anybody this year. I know that they've hit a bit of a snag here, but I think you get some some leeway if you lose at Purdue. Iowa, Michigan at home, they're going to get one of those two. So you have, so you're basically fifty fifty. So maybe you drop a seed. So now you go from. And I do think that the Michigan State game probably drops them to a five. So if they lose those, and I'm going extreme here, that would put them at a six. Okay. Well, then they win a Big Ten tournament game. They're back. They're, they stay at six. I, I think they go no lower than a six seed. Okay. I will stand strong in my seven prediction. I just think they'd have. And to I don't lo- want that to happen. But I just I I feel like they're they're kind of hitting a wall right now, and especially if Trace Jackson Davis is kind of showing some regression, or at least. You know, I don't know to, that he's showing regression. I think he looks like a guy that needed a nap. Yeah, I was gonna say if he's got tired he legs like or whatever. Me yesterday. But if they're starting, if he, he's starting to show like that he's you hitting a wall, probably noticed today. I'm much fresher and more on the ball than yesterday. Yesterday, struggle bus. Today, no problem. That's on two and a half hours of sleep too. <laughs> That's right. The I, problem I, is the sun. The, the sun's out. That's why you're a little more peppy. Yesterday was all dreary looking. What man? Yesterday was like being in Seattle, right? Yeah. I went home, put on some Nirvana and yeah. Stone Temple Pilots. And put on your ripped jeans. Stone Temple Pilots actually from San Diego, but put on some ripped jeans, flannel, mm-hmm. hiking boots, yeah. nap for a while. Yeah. But I'm just telling you, to me, Indiana, I'll, I'll say six. 
I, okay. I, I don't. Are you on a wager on it? What would you like to do? More PBR again? <laughs> I'm still knocking down the six that you gave me last time. Are you really? Yeah. Wow. I should I should probably have more of it, but it's one of those things too where it's like you have one, you're like, all right, I, I think treat it, yourself, huh? I know. <laughs> you want to you want to make sure you don't. Lose it all in one fell swoop. I can, I can certainly. Especially with, you know, it. when the girls are running around, you got a little high stress level. Like, ah, this might crack one more open. Let's get, by the way, to a morning check down. The morning check down brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at ballstatesports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. You can do it the same way we did it last time. Give a little love to the smaller schools. This one's for all the small schools that couldn't get here. Uh, Taylor, 78-74 last night over Indiana Wesleyan. Taylor now 14-15, and 15, but that is a, ro- uh, a win in the Crossroads League. Jason Hubbard led him with 24. I say that because I went to Taylor basketball camp every year when I was a kid and absolutely loved it. In the same conference tournament, by the way, Marion 81-70 over Bethel yesterday. That is the quarterfinals for that league. The bigger schools, Bradley topped Valparaiso 76-66. Butler edged DePaul 59-58. Belmont over Indiana State, 89-88. North Carolina beat uh, Kevin's Notre Dame Fighting Irish, 63-59, dropping the Irish to 10-18 and 2-15. And and Good Lord, Kevin, on the season. And then Illinois-Chicago tops Evansville, 81-76. There we go. Uh, the schedule for tonight, Robert Morris taking on IUP. I'm not going to use my joke again. Are oh, you that's proud good. Of me, Mark? You've only mentioned like six times in the break. I'm maturing. I've only mentioned what six times in the break? The Robert Morris joke. You mentioned it every time they, they come up on the schedule. And IUPUI you... is 4-25. and 25. They're 1-17 and 17 in league play. They're hosting Robert Morris, who's decided that they're actually just sending a guy named Robert Morris. And just totally <laughs> spat in your own face. You said you weren't going to bring it up. Robert Morris has a four-game win streak. IUPUI has lost that many straight. Purdue, uh, Fort Wayne at Milwaukee. That game at 8-30. Now, see, now in Milwaukee, they should stop by... Maybe they'll say at the Brew House Inn. Mm-hmm. Take a tour of the PBR factory, then go play the game. I'm just saying. Hang out at Jeffrey Dahmer's old place. Well, you could do that too. Milwaukee's a very underrated city. Water Street, very cool. Tennessee Tech over, uh, and not over, Tennessee Tech at Southern Indiana tonight. That game also at 8.30. Uh, NBA tonight, Pacers at the Fieldhouse. They take on the Boston Celtics. Of course, this finishes out the season with them after the All-Star break with 22 games. Most of those in the next week or so are going to be on the road. But in terms of Boston, Tyrese Halliburton is well aware of the fact that they were within sight the last time they had to go around. And now it's time for Indiana to turn up the wick here coming off the All-Star break. I was playing Boston who we went and uh, I mean, we won the game closely, but we were up big in the, in the first half. So, I mean, JT told me they're, they're coming for us. So I'm excited to play against other, you know, other great players. I mean, I think the best part about now is like, Keep talking about the sense of urgency has to pick up. Well, we've only got 20 games left, so sense of urgency really has to be there. And like I said, it can't be a panic thing. It's just got to be being locked in from the start. Uh, you know, everybody came, everybody was here to practice today on Tuesday, getting all the, you know, sluggish basketball out now, so we're ready to go by Thursday. Now, obviously. Turn up the wick? I never heard that saying before. No, that's a racing term. Uh, obviously, that was accumulated, that sound on. Tuesday itself. JT would be Jason Tatum, who had 55 in the All-Star game, and that's where Tyrese Halliburton would have seen him and gotten a chance to talk about the fact of the matchup tonight. What are you looking at? I was just looking at the time. Pacers take on the Celtics 6.30 on these airwaves. 
well, they're promoting actually, the station. They're not actually taking them on on these airwaves. You can hear it on these airwaves, For but God's the game sake. itself, Gamebridge Fieldhouse, right? Yeah. Right? Uh, elsewhere, Colts signed uh, former Bears cornerback Kevin Tolliver. I was out of the out of the league last year before being cut by the Ravens. Played 27 games with the Bears from 2018 and 2019. So the Colts adding some depth in their secondary. Uh, Kevin Tolliver there, and then the Bears actually released Alkanine Muhammad, former Colt. So didn't catch on with uh, Matt Eberflus in Chicago. Do you know what gets underway again tonight? What? The XFL. Oh, are they doing Thursday? Are they doing Thursday night football? Let's see. Week two. Pre- Somebody just sent me a thing saying they play tonight. Did they not play tonight? I don't know. I th- all the things I've seen have been like Saturday Here, and here's Sunday. Here's the schedule. I have it in front of me. Yes, in fact, a game tonight. Who would you like in this one, Mark? Are we going with this? We got to pick a team. Are we going with St. Louis? They're the Battle Hawks, I believe, right? Or Seattle. Is that who's playing tonight? Yes. Now, Seattle, I like because of the fact it's Seattle, but their colors are terrible. They're the Sea Dragons. They have like a, a lime green color, and their their mascot, it doesn't look like a sea dragon. It looks like a rubber ducky. So I, take- I, I can't be down with that. D.C. Defenders, I like their logo, and they're 1-0. I will take the Sea Dragons tonight. And then as far as a team, I'd have to, I'd have to think okay, about it. Okay, here are your team options. D.C. Defenders, St. Louis Battlehawks, Seattle Sea Dragons, Vegas Vipers, Arlington Renegades, Houston Roughnecks, San Antonio Brahmas? Brahmas, yeah, like the, like the Rocks Brahma Bulls. Okay, and then Orlando Guardians. Sam, who's your team? Uh, when the Alliance of American Football was around, I was an Orlando Apollos fan, so I'm sticking with they Orlando awesome as a Guardians logos. fan. Yeah, I was the amazing. Orlando Apollos helmets yeah. were awesome. So, you're, okay, you're Guardians. I'll go with Heinz uh, Ward's the head coach of San Antonio Brahmas. So I'll go Is with, he really? I like I like Heinz Ward, okay. so I'll go with the Brahmas. I like the D.C. Defenders just because I watched uh, like two seconds of their game and I thought they had cool helmets. That's the problem with the XFL is these, half of these logos and color schemes are just they're, – they're terrible. I, I watched a little they bit of it. low rent. I watched a, watched a little bit over the weekend. I didn't hate some of the rules that they did, though. It was kind of cool. The, like the kickoff. The kickoff was, is interesting. was nice. The way they did replays was a lot, was a lot more efficient, I thought. What I think is, and then be, having the fourth and fifteen option on fourth downs is cool. What I think is going to be interesting, Mark, is honestly, and I don't know. I mean, they've tried. Everybody has tried to do one of these alternate leagues, but you have now the XFL that has like ES. I think an ESPN contract, yep. or mm-hmm. and then you have the USFL, which has the NBC contract. So you have two leagues that are both going to be vying for the same slice of the pie to just create a niche for themselves with television backing, and it's really just going to come down to which one has the money that's going to last the longest before they fold. Yeah. And when I say fold, I don't mean I mean before the network just folds in the, the car. And I don't, I don't remember what the USFL's TV deal was. I think the XFL is a couple-year deal with ESPN yeah, and ABC. I think, uh, USFL, I think is a, they have two more years on it. Mm-hmm. I liked the USFL, to be honest with you. I thought it was actually pretty decent. But I think the XFL is doing the same thing where they're pumping in fake crowd noise, and it's a little extreme at times. The one I watched with the San Antonio, that was pretty packed. It was like 25,000 people really? there. Yeah, it was, it was okay. pretty busy. I was like, wow, that's a lot more people there than Are I thought Are you going to buy yourself a, a Brahma's hat? Not yet, They no. have bad colors, too. I don't like their color scheme. Yeah, I think they try to. D.C. Defenders, nice and clean, red and white, clean-looking helmets, clean-looking helmets. Scott Agnes joins us next. You're listening to Kevin and Quarry on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. One of the great things about working on Monument Circle in the 
morning, quite frankly, is being able to watch the sunrise each and every day, and this day is a really good one. As a matter of fact, over the winter, sometimes it gets a little rough because it's dark and then overcast for a long time. But a good-looking start here on a Thursday morning. Good morning to you. Jake Quarry along with Mark Dykton. and Kevin Bowen is back with us on Monday. Sam Fritz on the big board. And as the sun rises this morning, Mark, it also rises on if we want to call it that second half of the season sounds weird to say when there's 22 games left, but uh, the post all-star break portion of the Pacers schedule tonight, the field house against Boston. Yep. And one of the guys we're going to bring in now, uh, always friendly with us, always answering the phone at eight 30 on a Thursday, despite him possibly still sleeping in at this point field house file, Scott Agnes. He joins us now on the Payless Liquors hotline, Scott, hope you're doing well. And I know you were down at Salt Lake city, for the All-Star Game, uh, just curious uh, your overall thoughts on the event itself. Yeah, good morning, Mark. It, it was a, a good but long five days with just so much going on and, and so much to cover because the Pacers had seemingly someone in every event on Friday, then Saturday, and then Sunday, which was really special, I think, for this franchise. But my overwhelming takeaway from the experience was that it didn't feel like Salt Lake was involved or connected or I had any grand takeaway about the city. And I know when Indy hosts it next year, that won't at all be the case. But otherwise, it it was a good experience. I had no trouble with it. Um, But it it was good to see the guys on Friday night win and then the the fun back and forth Saturday between Halliburton and Heald in the three-point contest. I thought for sure one of them would get it. That's what I was going to say is that, that Salt Lake City was almost the perfect host before Indianapolis, because from everything I kind of saw online, it was kind of a dud, dud venue. From what I saw, is that what your, your takeaway was with that too? That it wasn't just was just wasn't very didn't feel like an All Star game was being hosted there. To me, it probably the best analogy might be the Big Ten tournament when it's in Indianapolis, right? You got probably Indy cars on the circle. You got signage everywhere. You have signage greeting them at the airport. You know it has taken over. All local TV stations are going live outside. I'm telling you, not until Sunday did you feel like, oh, there's something going on in town. There's no reason you couldn't have just picked up this venue and taken it to Louisville or Cincinnati or wherever and just been another game. And so that that was the one thing that, that jumped out to me in all of this. I, I thought they did a, a fine job, but it, it did not feel like it was a, a – it, it had taken over the downtown by any means. There was only uh, one kind of downtown thing four or five blocks south that was a, a special activity, and that was put on by Nike. That was clearly part of the event. Um, I don't know. It, it was just different for sure. Uh, and I, I th- that's where I know Indy is going to make it a lot more um, – they're going to make it where Indy is showcased. They're going to make it where Indy is um, – leaves people's minds and because the goal on all this i think is for indy to bring back some conventions and such once people experience the town some for the first time so scott this might be a better question admittedly for like civic planners of it or perhaps like danny lopez and the group that was out examining things for the pacers but you know when the Super Bowl was here, and I, I get the Super Bowl and the NBA All-Star Game, a little bit different because of the length of time that is going into it in terms of the events going on. But when the Super Bowl was here, I think there was expectation by the city that it would expand. All You know, people were like, you know, restaurants in Broderpool were prepping for it and down off Fountain Square and everything else. And, it, and then it turns out 
everything was just epicentered in the, the downtown quadrant, and it never really went beyond that. It was massive for that area, but it didn't have, I think, the totality of, of tentacle reach that people had hoped for the Super Bowl. Do you think that there is plan, or can you give us an idea to your understanding of where what all will take place beyond just at the field house itself for the All-Star game when it comes here? So the only thing that we know for certain is that the All-Star game, the Sunday night featured event will be at the field house. The rest is kind of to be determined. And so, you know, maybe you have All-Star Saturday night or the rookie uh, rising stars over at Lucas Oil Stadium. The, the one big idea behind all of that is, you know, Indy does not host this event with any regularity. This will be, you know, the first time in almost 40 years. Well, which is funny because the, the other time it did it, it was the other way around, right? Yep. You had all of the auxiliary right. events taking place at uh, Market Square, the dunk contest, whatever else, and then the game itself was at the Dome, which was being, you know, obviously a new showcase for the Dome. Yeah, and and, and more to that, though, it, that allows for more people to attend the game and to be part of it and to feel part of it. And I think that's one thing they're conscious of here is, they don't want this just to be an outsider event because uh, one thing fans should know is one of the great hesitations all along in all of this for any franchise is it's frustrating, uh, making season ticket holders frustrated because they aren't able to get to events. Because um, what you should know is this is an NBA event that is put on in collaboration with the host city. This is not the host city, you know, setting the plan and doing things their way. There's a team of people at the NBA that, this is all they do. So, for one, uh, I think the thing that's going to be of great strength, Jake, for the city as everyone of uh, as we all know, is how everything is right there within what half mile, point seven miles, and that was not the case for Salt Lake City. You had to get on, uh, you know, a bus and drive what felt like twenty minutes east to the University of Utah for media availabilities. For uh, that's where the celebrity game was. I'm, I'm guessing. I don't know this. That probably seems like a convention center type event. Um, and also the the all star practices, rising star practices, were over at the University of Utah. There's no reason those aren't at the Field House or at the convention center or at Lucas Oil Stadium for that matter. And so those those things have not been determined. They still have to be negotiated and ironed out. But having everything right here, I mean, that will allow for those that are visiting to. Stay within a skywalk if it's not nice out. Um, and by the way, one of my grand takeaways as well is Salt Lake City did not snow. I figured we'd be dealing with snow. You'd need boots every single day. There was a little bit of snow one night at night. Um, but other than that, it was full of sunshine, more than Denver than I'm used to. So uh, that surprised me about Salt Lake City. He's Scott Agnes of the Fieldhouse Files, also contributor on 1075thefan.com, as well as some Pacer stuff. Scott, last All-Star Game question for me, but ratings were really down this year. Uh, how would you fix the All-Star Game itself ahead of next year's event in Indy? I would say the number one thing you need is for the, the elite stars to take it seriously, and then everybody else will fall in line. After the game, I was asking Tyrese, you know, how do you feel about this? Drew Holiday, I was kind of the same way because, you know, Drew's a, a defensive-minded player. And he was like, eh, you know what, I didn't mind it too much. Um, there's a lot going on this weekend, and on top of that, uh, you know, if I could make a half-court shot, I would be taking them too. So, uh, and then Tyrese is, you know, a young guy, I think, 12 of the players involved were just in their first or second year. So they're, they're following LeBron and Giannis. And so it didn't help that, you know, Giannis played 20 seconds and LeBron didn't play the second half. And 
I, I don't know why these guys, um, especially when it comes to the dunk contest, um, would even want, need additional like uh, compensation, let's say, to to be enticed to do this. Because if you remember, even like to bring about local, Glenn Robinson the third became a you know na- people became aware of him in the NBA when he went to the dunk contest and had great success. So that's what you need it to be about. Again, I don't think you'll ever get the uh, top guys. But what if you could get that second or third tier guys, a John Morant to be in the dunk contest, for example, like we saw his his best dunk of his NBA career here in Indianapolis. So for me, it's it's these guys taking it a little bit more seriously. Um, and, and I don't know, it's it's tough when you go into that, that all-star game, right, and you have a draft that lasts a half an hour, and then you have a concert after that that lasts a half an hour. Then they go back out for warm-ups. So – I almost wonder if they were setting them up themselves up for a little bit of failure when um, you, you kind of make the game secondary because it then did feel that way. Let me tell you a, a, something I heard discussed this morning, Scott. Scott Agnes is our guest from Fieldhouse Files. He's on the Payless Stickers hotline. You can see his work also on our website at 1075thefan.com. Scott, in terms of the All-Star game, and I did get a, I saw yesterday somebody sent a thing out saying, the Daytona 500 did like 72% the ratings or whatever, the NBA All-Star game. I think it's a little unfair of a comparison because the Daytona 500 is the NBA finals of racing. I know it's not the finals, but it's the biggest race in NASCAR. You would have to compare the apples to apples would be comparing it to the ratings of the All-Star race when that takes place, you know, midway through the NASCAR season. But this morning on this radio station, I heard Keyshawn Johnson and Jason Williams, I believe it was, discussing um, on the ESPN Radio Morning Show, and I thought it was an interesting proposal. The Major League Baseball All-Star Game started waning. People started losing interest in it, and then they did the, the process by which the or the World Series home field advantage was determined by the winner of the All-Star Game. Would it pump juice into the NBA All-Star game if they went back to having it be Eastern All-Stars versus Western All-Stars with the winning team determining the home court advantage of the NBA Finals? Hmm. Yeah. I, I personally don't think I'd be a fan of that just knowing you know what the treatment of an All-Star game has been. I do agree there needs to be some kind of competitiveness brought up, right? Um with all of this, I don't know what that might be here. I've heard someone even mention international versus U.S. to add some competitive fire. Yeah, to that's. This, but, but are there? Well, yeah, I guess you've got a. a you got fair a, amount. I think there were seven or nine international yeah. guys, I believe. Um, the thing is, though, you when I think international, you think of the guys that really compete out there. But Luca might have been the ultimate one that was taking it easy. Um, that guy had no interest in playing that game. Um. I just – I saw too many possessions where it was literally like – Nikola Jokic looked like he didn't know what to do when the ball came to him, and everybody else was just like, okay. The the most awkward part of the game, it was kind of like when you listen to conversations where people don't know who's – like like if you listen to a radio show, quite frankly, where people don't know whose turn it is to talk and there's like these pregnant pauses and it's just awkward – that's kind of what the All-Star game felt like half the time on the offensive set, Scott. Like, whoever got the ball, it was like they were looking at each other like, uh, okay, who, who, who's going to go here? You know what I mean? And it was rough. Yeah, it's one of those that no one could be happy about the way in which that All-Star game was played, and there's no obvious fix. The one, I mean, the same thing goes for the dunk contest here as well. Like, 
it's not been honestly the best thing that a G League player comes in and wins the whole thing, right? What does it say about the rest of the league? But also, you know, you wonder who else is actually pushing to be in it at this point. So that, that's another thing that they have to figure out. It's the, the ratings conversation is so nuanced because outside of the NFL, tankings are bad everywhere, right? That's right. Mercifully, the All-Star, game, All-Star break is over now, and the Pacers get back on the court tonight when they take on the Boston Celtics. Scott, what are you expecting to see from the Pacers in these final 22 games? I think this is a situation where it's, it, let's reset and go back to what we were discussing at the, the beginning of the season, where it was taking each game and trying to get something out of it, trying to you know have some player development and some growth, which I think is good. Um, I thought it was notable how you know they're they're obviously you know trying to make a push here, but that's not the ultimate focus towards the end of the season with these twenty game twenty two games. So uh, I, I think that's the good thing here. But to start off with Boston is tough, and then after that you got eleven of the next fourteen games on the road. So that that's going to be awfully difficult for this team. Scott, in terms of the the home stretch here, I think we know realistically that. It is not a push towards the playoffs, I don't think, for the Pacers, or certainly, you know, towards a deep playoff run. So, uh, give me two guys, two players that the last 22 games are the most important for. And I don't mean Benedict Matherin because maybe he's going to be starting and, and getting more of an elevated role, but two guys that in terms of if you were to ask Rick Carlisle, Chad Buchanan, Kevin Pritchard, that they want to give the hardest, longest look at over these 22 games to figure out whether they – are guys they roll with or guys they parlay? Yeah, the, the first thought I think then would auto, automatically become Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson. But really, too, I'd want to throw in Jordan Wara there. As you try to figure out what he is, can he be part of this team moving forward? And if so, in what ways will he be able to contribute to what they're trying to do? So, yeah, you're right. So many of them, they already know their roles. We know exactly the way in which they can contribute. Like, we don't need to see more from Tyrese or Miles or Buddy Heald for that matter. So I would like some more clarity in that front court um, for certain. I think we also, by the way, know exactly what Daniel Tice can look like if he is part of that group come the summer. Um, so for me, it goes with the big men with Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson. and What more can they show us um, here for the final 22? Scott, appreciate it as always and look forward to – talking to you and reading about what happens here over the next couple of months to wrap up the season. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, right, man. Scott Agnes on the Payless Liquors Hotline. This text I just got, Jake, I'm 60. I started to watch the All-Star game. When the ball was in the half court and players were just playing zero defense, I turned the channel. If they don't care, neither do I. I, I kind of get that. Hard to argue. I mean, it was like it's an ultimate display of athleticism. There's no doubt about it. But there's a difference between the athleticism that's on display of seeing guys evade defenders and make breathtaking, you know, acrobatic moves to the basket, and then guys that there's nothing stopping them and it's a layup line, yeah. which is more what – and that's the first time I've seen that. I remember a couple of years ago – I mean, probably 15 years ago, literally when the Pro Bowl went that route, it, it, it seemingly felt like overnight. Like all of a sudden one day – it was just like, wait a minute, these guys aren't even – like they're snapping the ball and the linemen are just standing up yeah. and not moving forward. And it, was, it wasn't like a gradual thing. It, just, it was like a flip of the switch. And that's what this year's All-Star game felt like. It was like, wait, what's going on here? Yeah. yeah I mean, it, I remember as a kid it was cool to watch the All-Star game. He's got to see the East versus the West. Yeah. You got to see Kobe wanted to 
D up Michael Jordan and everything. So that was always cool to see. And now these days, I mean, there's not a lick of defense being yeah, played. It's rough. And you're seeing like, hey, who wants to shoot it from half court this time? Who wants to just go to the layup line? I mean, the stuff they do is impressive. But after, but it's like, but three it's, hours to me, it's kind of like the dunk game. contest. The dunk contest to me is extremely cool. But after like the first round or so, I'm like, uh, okay. I mean, it's kind of the same thing over and over. And, you know, how many times can I watch Giannis fall out of his seat and act like he's seen something for the first time? Well, well, the the, the trick with the all, the slam dunk contest is, like, McClung got it on the first try every single time this year. Whereas, like, in previous years, you'd see a guy like, okay, he's trying uh, to do it, but it's was, like the sixth opportunity he's going to try to do it. That's the worst. Kind of takes the surprise and <laughs> excitement out of things. But. You're like, okay, dude. Okay. Yeah. Zach Kiefer joins us at 9.05. We'll talk some Colts. Kevin and Query, 93.5, 107.5, the fan. <laughs> It's Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I got to thinking about with the Pacers and Celtics tonight at the Fieldhouse. Uh-huh. You going? I, I don't think I'm going tonight. Um, when I was a kid, it was such a thrill to go down to Market Square. And they had the Market Square Arena for those that, that – weren't around or didn't live here when when it was here. It's over now by what is now obviously the Whole Foods right there at Market and Alabama. And it went over, the arena literally straddled over Market Street. So you drove underneath the arena and it was supported on four sides by the parking garages basically in the in the four corners, if you will. But the, the east side of the arena was a loading ramp. Mm-hmm. Literally just a, I mean, it, it was, you drove up and then it was, it it went alongside the arena and then it went right back down to the street level. And that's where the visiting bus would sit after games. And if you were strategic enough, you could go and stand on the ramp and hope to catch players' attention as they were loading up on the bus after games. And they always stayed, the visiting team always stayed at the downtown Hyatt. So again, if you were, and I felt bad for him almost because I was a kid and we would sit in the lobby and of course it was glass elevators, so you could see. I mean, you knew. Like, oh, here comes Patrick Ewing on the elevator, or, you know, whatever. Hey, Ewing, and, you stink! <laughs> and we would go down there and hang out in the lobby of the Hyatt. I still have, you know, I've got like an old scrapbook. I still have like a sport magazine with literally probably the entire. 86 Knicks autographs. I have the Bullets. I remember one time there must have, I must have gone to a Bullets game because I have, like, all the Washington Bullets. Gerald Wilkins gave me a pair of his shoes once. Um, Larry Nance gave me a pair of his shoes. They were, like, size 13. And I we would sit out there for hour. I mean, seemingly, probably an hour after the game. But the Boston Celtics were one that was just a whole different stratosphere, man. Like Bird and McHale and Paris, those guys weren't stopping a sign. But there was a Beatlemania feel about it. And, and this, realistically, this group of the Celtics probably should be the same way because Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown both are elite level players. Do you feel like they have a, like a Beatles-like following when they I, come to town? Because I feel no. like that's more like the Warriors or the totally Lakers the, and all that stuff. Both of those teams. I, there's an energy in that building, I've always said. The teams, the visiting teams that I have seen that just have this aura when they come in. Obviously, Jordan's Bulls. The Showtime Lakers and the Celtics of that era. 
but it's a little different because the Pacers were so bad you were going to see the visiting team anyway. Yeah. So it was kind of that way for every team. They marketed it. Come down to see Isaiah Thomas and the Detroit Pistons. But the Showtime Lakers had a Hollywood feel about them, obviously. The Jordan Bulls, the LeBron Heat teams for certain, more than the yeah, Cavs, without the question. LeBron Heat teams, mm-hmm. and then the Kobe Shaq Lakers, the Steph and Clay Thompson Warriors, and then now Giannis and LeBron carry that. But no, interestingly enough, I don't know that the Celtics are at that level, but it should be because those are two elite talents. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Two It'll be interesting to see how it goes. Pacers, Celtics again tonight. 6.30 is when the pregame starts on our airwaves. Zach Kiefer joins us in about five minutes to talk some Colts. It's Kevin and Query, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. You are listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Zach Keeper going to join us just a couple of minutes from now. We'll get the latest on the happenings on West 56. Uh, Mark, to recap, we were talking about what we did last night. I went and saw Hairspray at, um, is it, I call it the Murat. What's it, Old Indiana Center or whatever it's Old called. Old National now. Center. Old National, yeah, sorry. I, I think people, the Murat, everybody knows what you're talking about. But um, it was a good show. I, I, I would not put it. It's not high on your uh, Broadway show I power put rankings. It in the upper quartile of my Broadway show rankings, okay. I do enjoy going to all of those. To be honest with you, um, and so is it middle middle quartile or lower quartile? Thank you to Linda Allen who uh, gave us the tickets. What's that? Is it middle quartile or lower quartile? Middle. It was okay. good. It was like if you were going to go watch an NBA game, and somebody gave you tickets, and you were like, "Well, who'd they play?" And you're like, "They played the Atlanta Hawks." It's okay, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there have been others that were better. But you went to, you said a Chick-fil-A extravaganza? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't sound, I mean, yeah, it was the Whitestown Chick-fil-A. They had a uh, daddy-daughter. Now, Whitestown is, that's the that's the north one, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's Zionsville mm-hmm. area, right? Yep. Okay. So they had a daddy-daughter uh, date dinner night thing, I guess, and stuff. So You, you live in Brownsburg, West, right? Brownsburg, yes. Yeah. So it's about a 20-minute drive. Okay. And it was raining cats and dogs too. It was so a hell of a t- commute. You took a vacation to yeah. Chick Fil A, yep. and then and what did they do at the daddy daughter? So you got there, ordered some food, but then they had like you know fruit snacks, and you can make your own sundays. And the cow mascot was running around. They had coloring books and all that stuff, playground and all that. So the girls had a good time. So it was just kind of a way to get out, do something with them, get and, some energy. And was, used. This, was it packed? It's pretty busy. Yeah, a couple guys were like, "Hey, got your hands full there." I'm like, "Well, you're not kidding." But we were talking a little bit, yeah. Dad's just kind of getting out of the house and everything like that. So, have you fun. ever gotten the grilled sandwich at Chick Fil A? I don't. I might have gotten it once, but I, I'm more of the just the regular, the number one. I mean, the, regular, the regular chicken sandwich fillet. Yeah, it's like impossible to. But the, the only problem with it is every time I eat it, then I immediately want more of it. You got to order a second one. That's what they want you to do. I know. Yeah, I did the regular. Usually I get that or the spicy one. I do that when the girls do the chicken nuggets. Have you had the spicy chicken? Now, we had the fellow on during the pop quiz that was from the one chicken outlet, and I made reference to the spicy chicken joint or spicy chicken sandwich, and he said, no, that's the other deal. Yeah. So I, is it Popeye's or Church's that has the one that everybody went crazy over? It's Popeye's. Have you had that? Oh, yeah. It was good. Pretty big. Good or great? Pretty good. I wouldn't say great. Is it breaded? Yeah. So it's not healthy? No. But it's good. Most most fast food chickens aren't 
aren't healthy. <laughs> well, I mean, I, if, you're, if you're trying to count calories and you're going to a fast food joint, I, I'm going to say you're going in the wrong direction. Okay, well, I'm just saying. Chick-fil-A is good, though. It's very good. Uh, joining us now on the Payless Sickers Hotline, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing so, you can read his work at The Athletic covering the Indianapolis Colts, one of the premier writers in central Indiana. Zach Kiefer joins us. Zach, I'll begin right away with this. It feels like we have been awaiting, like, official word of some changes on the Colts coaching staff. And then I wonder if it's conjecture or if some of it is absolutely inevitable. Where do things stand right now in terms of kind of who's in or who's out or what needs to be filled for Shane Steichen's staff? Yeah, that's a good question, Jake. And at this point, you're kind of just, you know, sort of hedging towards when it's official, right, when the team announces it, when these contracts are signed. But my understanding is Shane Steichen's basically just locked himself in his room in his office the last couple of weeks and has just been working nonstop trying to fill out the staff, obviously with the combine starting next week. I do know Reggie Wayne has been at the facility a lot of late, and that would indicate to me that he's going to be back. He is under contract for another year. Now, again, that's going to be Shane Steichen's decision, but I know the players, the receivers want Reggie to be back. It felt like Reggie wanted to be back. So that's a big one on offense. You know, they're, they're probably closing in on an offensive line hire, I believe, I believe, and don't quote me on this, that it's the assistant offensive line coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. That would make sense with where Steichen is coming from. Jim Bob Cooter is in line to become the offensive coordinator. And I really feel that it's going to be Gus Bradley on defense, and I think he's going to keep all of his assistants, Nate Ollie to run the defensive line, Richard Smith to run the linebackers, and then Ron Miles in the back end for the secondary. So they're closing in on that. But, again, nothing's officially official until these guys sign their contract and the team announces it. How, how big of a speed bump, Zach, uh, would the Bubba Ventrone leaving for Cleveland be for Shane Steichen trying to fill out that staff ahead of the combine? Yeah, my understanding is a couple of days ago this was going to happen. He was going to go to Cleveland. Obviously, he played there. Um, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think Bubba's a really good coach, and that matters. But you can find a special teams coordinator at this point in the game. There's a lot of special teams assistants that are dying for their opportunity. Here's one. Colts have some talent on special teams. Um, I, I think that's going to happen. He's going to go to Cleveland, and they're going to have to fill – that void so it looks like Gus Bradley would be the only coordinator to return in 2023 you know Zach what's interesting to me we were talking about this earlier during the course of the season when it was clear that things were not going well from a wins losses standpoint with Jeff Saturday as the interim head coach there was a lot of sentiment certainly we had it on this program I don't know if you did in your inbox but of people that were like Jeff Saturday should be the offensive line coach and not the head coach and, you know, hire a head coach and bring him back as offensive to coach this offensive line. And that sentiment was whispered out there. But then once that job actually became available, I've never heard his name mentioned. Um, it would make sense why Shane Steichen wouldn't necessarily at no fault of Jeff Saturday as a guy, but I don't know that I would want the guy that also was vying for the same job I got that the owner really likes hanging around. Right. Do you think Saturday had any interest in that position, or do you think his name was whispered about at all internally? No, Jake, to, to answer your last question, he didn't He didn't have any interest in the, in the offensive line coaching job, which is kind of where it makes sense for him to be, to be completely honest. And, look, this is a guy that they came to twice before to come coach the offensive line, and he turned them down wanting to spend more time with his family. So for Jeff Saturday, from everything I understand, this was – head coach or bust, 
and we didn't get the head coaching job, I don't believe he's in the cards at all for the offensive line job. Again, and I think he kind of tiptoed onto something with Shane Steichen. It's not ideal. It wouldn't be a deal breaker, but I just don't think it's perfect to have the guy you replaced back on staff in a different role working under you. I think it's just time to move forward with Steichen. And it's my understanding that Jeff Saturday had no interest at all in any other job besides the head coaching job. And I understand both standpoints. I mean, I get why Saturday would say, you know what, I was the head coach. I don't necessarily want to, although it might be in Saturdays, if head coach is again the trajectory that he wants to go, and I don't know that for certain, I think he wanted this job. I don't necessarily think that that means he wants any head coaching job. If he did, then probably starting a few rungs down and working your way back up would be advisable. Um, But again, Zach, if I'm Steichen or Ballard, either one, and I think to myself, you know what, I know how much the owner loved Jeff Saturday and I wanted to go in another direction, I just assume not crack that door back open, right? Yeah, and it's just a messy road to go down because what if they're three and five? You know, what if if that happens and you've got a guy in the building who, as you just mentioned, has – you know, a ton of affection from the owner. Like, that's not going to change, even after 1-7 and seven and an 87-point differential. So I just feel like it's a clean break. It's time to move on. Look, they, this is just a disaster. It happened. It was a mistake by Jim Mercer, in my opinion. They went 1-7. and seven. They were. It was embarrassing down the stretch. Those are the words used by a lot of players. But you got a gift at the end of it. you got a gift. you got a fourth overall pick. Now you can turn the page with a quarterback coach, and and the new quarterback and the new era, and I just feel like lingering on and, and trying to grab back towards the glory days, which is really what this was, right? It was Jim Irsay grabbing back to those 2000s with Peyton and Marvin and Jeff Saturday. That That's a mistake. This team needs to move on. They need to move forward, and they need to find a new way forward. Zach here for The Athletic, joining Kevin Quera at 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Uh, you mentioned that the offensive line coach is likely coming from the Eagles staff. Zach, does that is that names you're hearing floated for the special teams coordinator position coming from Philadelphia? Or are you hearing any other names that might be in house or elsewhere? What are you hearing on that front? Haven't heard any names on the special teams front, and a lot of questions I'm getting at this point are why would the Colts let Bubba out of his contract to go essentially make a lateral move? Right? They could have blocked that. The reality is this: you know, it's a Shane Steichen decision. The guy should be able to hire whoever he wants. I don't know for a fact if he wants Bubba to stay or if he wants Bubba to go, but that's a head coaching decision that he should be allowed to make. And then secondly, I mean, Bubba was the guy that should have been the interim coach. I think everybody in the organization probably agrees with that. A lot of the players told me that. And if Bubba's ticked off at the Colts, I kind of blame him, to be honest. He didn't get the interim head coaching job, and they gave it to someone who's far less qualified. And then he interviewed for the full-time head coaching job and only got one interview. I think Bubba's a really good coach. But if he doesn't want to be here, you can't force him to be here. And even though you have that power in terms of keeping him in his contract and not allowing him to make a lateral move to the Cleveland Browns, you want guys who are going to be about this place. And if Bubba doesn't want to be here right now, you got to let him go and you got to go find another coach. And this is this is the, this is the risk you made when you hired Shane Steichen, and and you kind of go into this understanding that there's going to be a lot of turnover, and there should be. On one side of the ball, that's offense because they need a lot of new coaches on that side. You know, it's interesting with Bubba Ventrone, Zach. I think sometimes, and I'm not saying this isn't the case, but I look at it and I think to myself, okay, and I think you make a really good point, and your your colleague, you know, a couple of your colleagues have pointed out the same. I think when we talked to Bob about it, 
I'm sitting there saying to myself, maybe he's upset because he didn't get the head coaching job. And it was like, nah, it's probably more so the interim job, right? That he didn't, he didn't yeah. get the interim job. But, but then I also look at it and I'm like, you know what? If I'm not mistaken, he's from the Pittsburgh area. And, you know, that's, co- that's closer to Cleveland than Indianapolis is. And quite frankly, I, once, you know, the guy's 40 years old, I have no idea his family situation. But sometimes it's as simple, Zach, as, you know what, he wants to be closer to, like, where his aging parents live or his uncle lives. Or, you, know what, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes we overthink it. Sometimes guys just want to be close to home, you know? Yeah, and, and where did Bubba Ventrone start in the NFL? Right, I, mean, I used right. star as a, you know, a little bit of a stretch. But he's a stud special teamer for the Cleveland Browns, and, and I get it. And, and honestly, like, and, and you guys know this, like, it's, it's fun to be wanted. It's fun to get calls from other places and say, hey, we want you to come here. And and I think you're right, Jake. I don't think it's the head coaching job because it's very difficult to do that from a special teams coordinator. It's only happened a couple times. But the interim coaching job, a lot of players told me straight up that, like, when Frank was fired, they just assumed it was Bubba. They didn't even give him much thought. And for him to not get that job and then to go outside the building for someone who wasn't even here in training camp and during the season, I mean, there's no way that sat well with him. And, and I'm sure he worked well with Jeff Saturday. Everybody had good things to say about Jeff Saturday. But just the fact that he was bypassed like that and almost taken for granted, it wouldn't be a stretch to assume that that ruffled some feathers within Bubba Ventrone. And when you get a call from the Cleveland Browns, a place that's closer to home, like you said, he went to Villanova, he's a Pennsylvania guy, and it's a little bit closer to that um, and a place you played really well at in your career, it, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that much. You know, I have to just trust you, Zach, when you talk about the sentiments and feelings of being wanted with options. You know what I mean, I mean, let's be honest. I was experience the, you haven't had. Yeah, I was on the beach for twenty months, and I had to pay my way over here. You know what I mean? So I'll, I'll just believe you on that. Um, Zach Zach Kiefer, by the way, is our guest on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Um, Zach, right now, in your opinion, and a lot's going to change, and probably the next couple of weeks is going to be the best, the biggest factor in this. Did the Colts draft fourth? Are they going to stand put? Man, you put me on the spot, aren't you? Um, I'll say they do. I'll say they do because of who's making the pick, Chris Ballard. And and I think you can make a lot of arguments to, to say that, that C.J. Stroud is, is maybe a better pick, if, if you still think you can get him at four. I think it's going to be an interesting cat-and-mouse game between Nick Casario, the, the, the Texans' GM, and Chris Ballard. Like, which one do they want? Because they both need quarterbacks, and they're both at the top of the draft. And, it's going to be fun to watch this play out over the next several years. Who made the right pick? Because they're going to play each other twice a year. If you feel like Bryce Young's the guy, go get him. You know, it, this is the thing I've always mentioned: is like, what do the Chiefs give up to go get Mahomes? Nobody remembers. It doesn't matter. And I'm not saying one of these guys is Mahomes, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you give up if you get the right guy. All that matters is that you get the right guy. And, and I, there's a lot to like about C.J. Stroud. He seems like a meld of the two. He's got the size. He's got some of the accuracy. You know, you like the instincts of Bryce Young, but I really worry about the size. And then Ballard has a tight, right? Look at his tight end. They're all freaking huge. You know, look at his receivers. They're all 6'2 or taller. He had a rule, and he wouldn't even bring in Kenny Moore because he wasn't 5'10 originally. He had to be talked into it. So there's a physical specimen prototype that Ballard likes to lean on. Now, I'm not saying he's not going to lean on Bryce Young's talent, but if he is, there's gonna, that's going to be it a little bit of a divergence from what he's done in the past. So um, if they move on, they've got someone in mind, not two people in mind, but one person in mind 
And I think it's time to do it because, you know, like I have a story coming out pretty soon about what the next few months will look like for this team. Nothing is more paramount than getting this pick right. And everyone in this town is going to rejoice when they take a quarterback, right? It doesn't matter that you take a quarterback. You have to take the right quarterback. And you have to surround them in the best possible position. And, and so many teams screw that up. The first couple of years, a guy is in their system. They don't have the right coaches. They don't have the right personnel. They don't have the right people around this guy. And they fail. And so these guys are young. They're coming in. They're essentially asked to be CEOs of a franchise. And these guys are 22. And I'm really glad I didn't have to face that because I would have done a lot, did a lot of dumb stuff. But um, that's the interesting part about this, Jake, as, as we move into the football side of it with the combine next week, it's the interviews. They're going to have 15-minute interviews. You're not going to learn hardly anything at the combine. But when they sit down with these guys at the pro days and at the interview stage, they're going to sit for a couple hours, and they're going to talk to everyone this guy's known the last couple of years. That is, as much as anything on the football side, is going to be really important. So as a long-winded way of answering your question, I think they do stay at four, but I think Ursa is going to be pushing for them to be aggressive and move up. Uh, you know, here's what I've been stating, Zach, and, and then, you know, you're a, you're a sharper guy than I, so I want you to, to – tell me if what I'm saying makes sense or if it's within the ballpark you think of accurate. And that is Chris Ballard's chore or challenge, especially in the combine, to me, is going to be to figure out which is the greater quantity. The disparity in talent between the number one quarterback and potentially the third or fourth quarterback or the amount that you would have to give up if you think that gap is big and you have to go from four to one, you have to weigh out what you would be sacrificing and whether or not that sacrifice is less than the improvement you would make from the third or fourth quarterback option to the first. I personally don't think there's that big a gap between, and I'm not an expert, I'm not a scout, but I don't think personally that the gap between young and a Levis or Richardson, if that's the back end of that, that quartet is is as great as the gap between the team that you have and the team that you would be giving up if you gave up a future number one and a couple of late picks. Yeah, you're dead on with the second part. That is absolutely something that will happen next week. And it's probably something that's already began, to be honest, behind the scenes because, you know, you go back to last year, like the Russell Wilson trade that happened in mid-March. When did those conversations start? They started at the Senior Bowl in late January, and so the Senior Bowl is over. But a lot of these conversations about these blockbuster moves that will happen in the coming months, the free agency and the draft, they start right here in Indianapolis next week at the Combine, over dinners and at Lucas Oil Stadium and, and the like. So that's where the sort of seed of these trades start to happen. And I think you're right. You need to, just, you need to decide – one, what's your rough ranking of these quarterbacks? Right. And that's going like, to be ongoing. I mean, Zach, then, I feel like they need yeah. – it's as important to them. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but but I think – tell me if you agree with this. I think it's as important for Chris Ballard to figure out who Will Levis and Anthony Richardson are as it's as important as that as it is to find out who Bryce Young is. Absolutely, because if you're staying at four, you're getting one of those guys. Correct. And you need to figure out if that guy is a guy – or if the only guy is Bryce Young, and that requires a trade-up. And then secondly, to answer your question, you need to find out how much that's going to take and how much 
um, you know, Ryan Poles and the Chicago Bears want to move up. I know Bears fans want like seven first round picks. That's not something Chris Ballard's done in the past. I don't think that's going to be something he's done here. But again, this is completely different. This is not trading up a couple spots in the second round to get Jonathan Taylor, right? Great player. This is a franchise quarterback. And then you also have to decide whether you scout these guys right now. It's what are, what are they going to look like in a couple years? It's not going to be necessarily who can play right away and who's going to be your quarterback in 2023. This decision is about 25, 26, 27. This is about the next 10 years of your franchise. And whether you have to live through some ups and downs, like a guy like Will Levis probably needs a year to sit, ideally. Are you going to live through that? Do you sign a bridge quarterback? I think they do. Um, those are very much decisions they got to make. You know, is Bryce Young ready right now? But then over time, will his body give way to all the punishing hits he's going to take behind an offensive line that gave up 60 sacks? And then secondly, are you okay just punting on the 2023 season with the idea that Will Levis or whoever it is, Richardson, grows into the job? So that's going to be the fun part. But I got bad news. Fowler's not going to say anything next week about this. He's going to play close to the best like he always does. We're not going to learn anything until really April 27th. Zach Kiefer of The Athletic joining us for another minute here on Kevin and Query. Zach, Combine is a week away. Obviously, the focal point will be quarterback for the Colts. What do you expect the next heavy presence to be at? What position group do you expect to be have the second most uh, presence at with the Colts outside of quarterback? That's a good question. I haven't even thought beyond the quarterback, to be honest. Like People are like, who are they taking at number 35, which is a really good pick. It's essentially a late-round first pick, and I'm like, gosh, I don't know. Like, Name a position they don't need help at. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. They're not going to take running back, and they're not going to take tight end, but um, I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel about Paris Campbell. I think you could get him back for cheap, but you always need more receivers, and I don't know how the conversations are going to go with Michael Pittman regarding an extension. He's eligible this summer, but it's a hard case study because he's produced, and I think everybody knows he's a really good player, but is he a one? And the number one money that these guys are getting at that position is absurd, and I just can't see Ballard paying that for a guy that's not an absolute number one. I mean, he's not in that top three or four of the league. So I could see receiver. I could see linebacker if they expect Bobby Okereke to sign somewhere else. Nothing would surprise me on the defensive line. You guys know how Ballard's obsessed with that unit. But, again, Stephon Gilmore is, is 32 years old, and it's not like they have a full cupboard of cornerbacks, so they could always use one of those as well. Can you imagine? Edge rusher. Another one. I, I can't. I can't. I know. Wait. I know. I know. It's going to be interesting, that's for sure. Zach, we appreciate it as always, man. Enjoy the weather today. All right. Thanks, guys. All See right. you, man. Zach Kiefer on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Scotty has walked in. That means the pop quiz is upcoming. Uh, but before that, we're going to get to, do we need to do an abbreviated fast check down there? We do. We've got the pop quiz, and then we've got Mike Duraco to round out the show. So. see how quick I can do these pop quiz. Oh, the, I have uh, no doubt. Down. No All doubt right, in my go. mind. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Last night in college basketball, Bradley over Valpo, 76-66. It was Belmont by a point over Indiana State, Illinois, Chicago. 81-76 over Evansville. Butler getting a win in Chicago over DePaul. Good for Thad Mata's dogs. 14-15 and 15 now overall, 6-12 and 12 in the Big East. 59-58 over DePaul and North Carolina, 63-59 over Notre Dame. That four-point differential, the same that Taylor had over Indiana Wesley in the Crossroads League quarterfinals. Marion defeated Bethel in that same tournament, 81-70. Tonight, it's Robert Morris and IEPUI at 730 
Purdue and Milwaukee at 8.30, same tip time for Tennessee Tech and Southern Indiana. Both of those teams might be able to catch a little of the Pacers and Celtics before they take to the floor because that game gets underway at 7 o'clock at Gamebridge Fieldhouse in the NBA. Anything you want to add, Mark? Look at you go. Uh, Colts sign cornerback Kevin Tolliver. There you go. That's all, all right, I got. There we go. Pop quiz is next. Scotty is here. 239-1070 is the telephone number. Your chance for a Jiffy Lube oil change. We would love to have you participate. That's next. It's Kevin and Corey, 93.5-1075, The Fan. It's pop quiz time on Kevin and Query. Go five for five. Get a Jiffy Lube oil change. We had one earlier this week. You said we've never had two in the same week. We've never had two in the same week that I can recall. So, so far, your President's Day uh, quiz is the only one that's been the five for fire. Scotty's Scotty's come from the top rope the last couple days and brought it. So, no five for five. Disappointed that that. Truly, I was disappointed that my presidential pop quiz was as easy as apparently it was. I think the guy question, just knew his, knew his presidential history. I think he just one, ran into I the wrong guy. This, if, if, if whoever we have on today, no pressure for those on hold, if they miss question number one, they are forced literally to have to vacate the state of Indiana. <laughs> okay. We, we, we are going to literally like – you must move. You're going to move to Illinois or Michigan or Kentucky or Ohio. I, I don't. I don't know. But you cannot live in the state. If you are now, that depends though on how long you've lived in Indiana. But if we get a caller that says they are native to Indiana and they miss question number one, shipped out instantly. So you're saying that if they've been here for a long time, if they're the stakes yes. are greater. What, so well, if I mean, you just moved in like six this, months ago, you're like, ah, this. you got to pass. If they were living in Indiana when question number one took place and they don't know the answer, then it is sayonara, see ya, uh, go find property in Champaign or you know wherever. Right? Jake will be on your front yard. <laughs> I'm telling you. I, you I can't mean, live here no I more. I ridicule you forever. Uh, give us a number one through six, Mark. It's before. Number four is Jeff. Jeff, how old a fella are you? Jeff, you how there? Old? Yeah, how old a fella are you? Uh, 76. Oh, okay. you better know this one then. Jeff, where were you living during the Ronald Reagan administration? Which city? Well, what state were you living in? Oh, uh, Indiana. Okay. And are you a college athletics fan, Jeff? Yes. What What's your favorite team? Uh, the Indiana Hoosiers. Okay. Um. This is going to be a slam dunk. For when's the last time you slam dunked a basketball, Jeff? Okay. No, no, no. When when, <laughs> when was the last time that you slam dunked? Have you ever slam dunked a basketball? Have I ever what? Slam dunked a basketball. Oh no! Okay. <laughs> Only on an eight foot basket. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, Jeff. Well, I used I to bring down the house on my Fisher Price one back. You're going to you're going to slam dunk question number one. I can assure you, uh, Jeff. Okay. Would you like for me that would be Jake or for Mark to lead you off with the first question on the pop quiz? Yeah, because I think I'm related to Jake, right? Are you really? Remember, I called before about oh, a month yeah. ago. I do remember that. You you, uh, you know now I can't recall. Did you say that you're related to queries, or you simply knew some queries? No, I was related. Uh, a cousin of mine uh, is a query, and uh, okay. And uh, and which? What's your cousin's first name? It was Treva and Jim 
Okay. Where they live on the south side around Fountain Square. Okay, very cool. Tony, you need to do a 23 and me on this. Let me figure this out. That's right. All right, so uh, Jeff, we'll speak in family tones here for question number one. Did you do you the ready? penny and the cabbage? That's what Jake wants to know. That's question one. Jeff knows exactly what that is. All right, here we go, Jeff. On this day in 1985, legendary IU coach Bob Knight was ejected after throwing his chair onto the court during a game. Steve Reed was at the free throw line when he chucked the chair across the floor. Who was Indiana playing? Were they playing Purdue, Iowa, Michigan State, or Wisconsin? Purdue. Knew it. You kind of throw the hint there, though. Jeff still knew that, man. There's no way Jeff did. With all the pressure of vacating your house, you got that one off the start. All right, Jeff. Pacers and Celtics tonight at the Fieldhouse. The Celtics enter tonight with the best record in the NBA at 42 and 17. Who currently has the second best record in the NBA? Is it the 76ers, the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, or the Bucks? The Bucks. I like it. All right, Jeff. Question number three. Have fun with that one. What's that? Kentucky's Oscar Sweeway scored 25 points in the Wildcats' win over Florida last night. He had just four rebounds, leaving his career double-double total at 43. One behind Cotton Nash for second place on Kentucky's all-time list. Speaking of the Denver Nuggets, who is Kentucky's all-time leader in career double-doubles? Is it Rick Roby, Dan Issel, Jim Andrews, or Patrick Patterson? I'd say uh, Roby. That's the guy that uh, the Pacers took instead of drafting the draft rights to Larry Bird, which is a bit of a faux pas. All right, question number four. Go ahead. Jeff, on this day in 1968, Will Chamberlain became the first player in NBA history to reach the 25,000-point mark for his career. Despite his prolific career total, Wilt is not the career scoring leader for any of the three NBA franchises he played for, who holds the NBA record for career points scored for one franchise. A, Michael Jordan, B, Kobe Bryant, C, Carl Malone, or D, Dirk Nowitzki? Carl uh, Malone. Wow. Nice. All right, Jeff, you're doing the query name proud. Question number five. On this day in 1964, Richard Petty claimed the first of his record's seven career Daytona 500s. He set another record that still stands for the most laps led in the great American race. Within three, how many of the 200 laps did Richard Petty lead? Um, 187. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Jeff bringing it this Holy Thursday morning. Cow. All right, Jeff, we'll see how you did here. Much better than last time, I can tell you that. Uh, question number one, in fact, yes, Indiana was obviously playing the Boilermakers of Purdue. Correct about number two as well. The Milwaukee Bucks have the second best record in the NBA behind the Boston Celtics. Carl Malone was correct for number four. It was 184 laps for number five, which he got within three with 187, but... Rick Roby was a hell of a guess. He has 30 double-doubles, but the career record at Kentucky belongs to Dan Issel. Dan Issel, who had 64. Jeff, appreciate it. Give us a call another time. That was a strong effort, though. Strong effort for Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Uh, We will have one more segment here coming up. Jaguars reporter for ESPN, Mike DiRocco, is going to round out the show with us. Get a little more uh, Jim Bob Cooter information. JBC. You say it how you say it. I say how I say it. Cooter Talk, coming up next on Kevin and Quarry to round out this Thursday morning.
You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 40 minutes before the hour of 10 o'clock. Jake Query here along with Mark Dyson. What we know is that the Colts will have a new offensive coordinator. I simply am going to call him JBC for the majority of his time here. Mark insists on calling him Jim Bob Cooter. That is his name. Uh, but he comes from Jacksonville, where he was the passing game coordinator. Of course, was also offensive coordinator in Detroit. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline from Jacksonville, Mike DiRocco joins us, the ESPN Jaguars writer. I- I'm going to begin, Mike, with this, only because you have it on your Twitter bio. It says, usually the shortest person in the press box. Now, would that be the case if Bryce Young was also in the press box? <laughs> Unfortunately for me, I think, uh, yes. Uh, Bryce Young has got me by maybe, uh, let's see, I'm 5'4", so, you know, 7, 8 inches maybe. So, uh, it's very unfortunate. Okay. Well, you know what, I like the fact that, the fact you got it on there is pretty good, Doug, you know. Um, <laughs> hey, let's let's begin with this, and, and I'm going to be open here, Mike, and, and you tell me if I'm wrong. If someone were to call me and ask me to come on a radio program and talk about a Colts, you know, running game coordinator, I, you know, I'd say, well, I can tell you about the running game. I have no idea how much the coach himself was responsible for it. But you've seen a lot of different changes in Jacksonville and notably there was a change certainly in Trevor Lawrence this year the step that he made how much of that do you think is what Indianapolis now has coming and how much of that was just the natural progression of an elite talent from year one to year two yeah I think that was a little bit of both to be honest with you I think the biggest impact on Trevor outside of you know him just you know, making that normal progression was Doug Peterson and that offense and the quarterback-friendly nature of that offense and the way it stressed getting the ball out quickly and the quicker reads. Um, You know, I think that was a big part of it. And, you know, Jim Bob Cooter played a part in terms of, um, you know, being the passing game coordinator. He helped with game planning. He did some advanced scouting stuff, um, you know, of upcoming opponents and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I would say that there was obviously, you know, a lot of it on Trevor because he does have those natural gifts. But I do think that, you know, the addition of Doug Peterson was a huge benefit for him. And with that, so let's let's say it this way, Mike, because now he comes talking of Jim Bob Cooter as the offense coordinator. Now, he's not going to be calling plays for Indianapolis, but obviously he's going to have you know, the offense and the scheme is largely going to be, you know, he's he's preparing the meal now, right? And then it's up to Shane Steichen to determine what he wants to eat that day. In terms of what you have seen of style of play, you've seen Jacksonville snap in to snap out over the course of the year. If you had to anticipate then what that means for Indianapolis, their offensive style they might lean towards would be what? Uh, I guess if you want to look at it a little bit like the uh, the old West Coast, offense I guess a little bit of that um you know get the ball out quickly there's there are shots downfield and they want to take shots downfield but this isn't a downfield throw the ball downfield all the time offense um there's a lot of um you know misdirection and motion and there's a lot of you know guys getting uh, or crossing routes, guys sort of uh, having option routes and having the quarterback and the receivers definitely be on the same page. Um, you know, it's, it, it takes a little bit, to be honest with you, 
um, to kind of get everything in place uh, and, and to get into a rhythm. But I do think this is a rhythm offense, too. And, and I saw that a lot with, with Trevor Lawrence in that second half of the year. Um, you know, he got into a rhythm in spurts during the first part of the year. But once the second half came, you know, and he got into a this offense really kind of can, can start rolling up points and yards on you. They finished 10th, uh, or Trevor finished 10th in the NFL in terms of, you know, passing yards and, you know, passer rating. So once you kind of get rolling, it, it's got a, it's very quarterback friendly, um, obviously. Um, and they're helped up there. Certainly they have a much better uh, run game than the Jags do here with Jonathan Taylor. Um, so I think that'll even be a bigger help for the Colts. It's Kevin and Query at 93.5 and 107.5. The fan ESPN Jaguars reporter Mike DiRocco joining us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Speaking of Trevor Lawrence, Mike, uh, do you think his 2022 season was elevated from uh, Doug Peterson, Press Taylor, and Jim Bob Cooter, or was it more of just getting the stink of Urban Meyer and the season before that off of his back? Well, don't kid yourself. There was a lot of healing and a lot of stuff that had to take place to kind of purge that urgent Urban Meyer stuff. That was a significant part. Um, you know, talking to players in that locker room, you know, they, they were ready to embrace Doug Peterson as soon as he got there, obviously. But it was a trust thing, too, because, you know, these guys just don't want to completely accept change like that without any kind of, okay, well, you got to prove something to me first. Um, so there was an element of, of Doug Peterson gaining their trust. And, you know, the, the guys I talked to, and I talked to for Doug Peterson's story, I probably talked to 15 players and asked them and talked to them about that stuff. And, and, and that was what they said is that he had to gain our trust, but he did it very quickly. Um, and, and look, he's got a Super Bowl winning resume. These guys know we won a Super Bowl. These guys know, and I, I say this all the time, and I don't think it gets enough credit or gets enough publicity or whatever, but he turned Carson Wentz into an MVP candidate. Um, he won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. He outdueled Belichick and Brady with Nick Foles playing. Um, that, that carries a lot of weight with me, and that should certainly carried a lot of weight with those guys in the locker room. They were very, very ready um, for the kind of success that they had. But Doug Peterson – the one thing players told me, too, is that they love about him is he is the same guy every single day. There were no ups and downs like there were with Urban Meyer. Uh, there was no walking into the facility going, what are we going to get today? Is he going to scream at us? Is he going to yell at us? Is he going to, like, baby us? Do we have to have another, you know, 10-minute meeting on the field in the middle of practice? What what guest speaker is he bringing in today? They knew exactly what to expect, and, and you guys know NFL players and athletes in general love routine. And when they got into the routine uh, with Doug Peterson, you know, they really started the floor. So I think, you know, Trevor Lawrence and the offense taking off, a lot of it obviously was due to Trevor's immense talent, but a lot of it also was kind of purging that Urban Meyer um, stink off of this franchise. Mike DeRocco is our guest. He's on the Payless Sickers Hotline. He is the Jaguars writer for ESPN. Mike, I want to get back to Lawrence because I watched him I'm a Clemson football fan so I watched him every play that he played in college and and I and I know that I'm not alone in this sentiment I really felt like he had Peyton Manning level tendencies and I don't even necessarily mean because of his size his his soft touch when he needed it and his ability to read defenses but he just had kind of this aura about himself Um, it felt like that started to finally show through 
do we have enough body of work to know that Trevor Lawrence is here and has arrived and that in the AFC South everybody better be on warn? Or is it possible that this is what we've seen from Jacksonville before where water finds its level and they, they drop back down again? You know, I think – if you if we were talking about this, um, you know, in October, I would have said probably the latter. If they find some success, it won't they won't be able to sustain it. But after watching that second half of the season, um, and how well he played, and how well everything clicked, um, I think this is we're at the point right now where the Jags are the team to beat in that division because of Trevor Lawrence and because of Doug Peterson. I think we've seen enough out of Lawrence to know that. You know, is he, you know, can you sit there and say, is he going to be Peyton? Is he going to be Joe Montana? Is he going to be a Brady and win a bunch of Super Bowls? I don't know about that. But is he going to be a guy that finishes in the top five, seven in terms of passing every year um, and is regularly topping 4,000 yards? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's where, um, I think that's the, the bottom line of what we're going to expect um, out of Trevor Lawrence or what we're going to see out of Trevor Lawrence. I think, uh you know, in the NFL nowadays, you got to have the coach, got to have the quarterback, and if you can only have one of those, you would rather take the quarterback. And I think the Jags are set with both. And I think Trevor Lawrence right now is ready to be a guy that, you know, is is going to. And everyone's talking about how great the AFC quarterbacks are. They're going to start including this kid now too. What's the perception, Mike, of the Indianapolis Colts as a franchise, and as a, you know, in terms of? just your thought process when 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 people say to you Indianapolis Colts you think what in in the 2023 version I, I just keep thinking um you know there's a lot of talent there but I just keep thinking why can't they get the quarterback thing right and I understand that they were caught blindsided by um you know Andrew Luck's retirement I get that um but after that, it's just they're kind of caught in that no-man's land because they had a team that was good enough to compete, you know, and, and talented enough, I think, to win the AFC at one point. But w- without the quarterback, it's it's so hard, and it's so hard to find that guy. And going the veteran route with guys at the end of their career, it, it didn't really work, obviously. Uh, you guys know. Um, now I think they have a chance. My perception right now is, you know, why couldn't they get the quarterback right? Oh, well, now they've got a chance to go and get one of the better ones uh, in this draft, and and maybe that can turn things around. That's sort of when people ask me about the Colts or mention the Colts, that's what I think about right now. And and I do feel bad, too, because you, you feel like one minute, one day in preseason that you're you're going to be able to compete for a title, and then the next day you're like, oh, man, one of the top five quarterbacks in the league is gone now, and I don't know what the heck we're going to do. Mike Draco of ESPN, Jaguars reporter, joining us on Kevin and Query. The Jaguars obviously found their quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. The Colts are trying to find their version of Trevor Lawrence in this draft. I don't know how much you've looked at it, Mike, but do any of the prospects intrigue you the most that you were like, yeah, that looks like a guy you could build a franchise around and Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, et cetera? Uh, I will be honest. I haven't seen much of Will Levis, um, so I don't really want to speak about him, but I do – like I, I covered Florida for 13 years uh, before I started doing the Jaguars 10 years ago. So saw a lot of good quarterbacks in the SEC, and I love what Bryce Young did at Alabama. He was unflappable. He was a magician. Whenever they needed him to make a play, he was there to make a play. When they needed a big drive, he was there to make the big drive. And I get that he's not the biggest guy, and there's concerns about his height, and there's concerns about his weight. 
But, man, if you want to look at the intangible stuff, uh, and a lot of that is stuff that, you know, people talk about but they don't understand um, just how important that stuff can kind of be. Uh, now, does he have the physical skills? I think his arm's good enough. Um, but, man, if you're asking me which one of those quarterbacks would I want if I were picking one, I would pick Bryce Young. You know, height's overrated, Mike. We know that. Yeah, well, right. absolutely, 100%. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? Um, well, you know what? It's not like they were playing with five foot five offensive and defensive linemen in the SEC. Correct. I mean, he managed to complete those passes yeah, around those guys, you know, so. You know, because in the SEC and because you – as you mentioned, you covered Florida, so I would assume you still watch him a little bit. Give me your thoughts on Anthony Richardson. Uh, supremely physically gifted and completely and totally scattershot on um, the accuracy, uh, the, the reading of coverages, the ability to be clutch when they need him to be clutch. Um, I mean, that stuff, I, I just don't know that he has it, but you know, he's going to show up in, a, what, a week and a half or, you know, two weeks whenever the quarterbacks show up at the combine, and he's going to run and he's going to lift and he's going to, you know, take his shirt off and everyone's going to go, oh, my God, oh, my God, look at this guy. He's a physical freak, um, and people are going to fall in love with him. And I just don't know that he has what it takes to be an NFL quarterback and all the other stuff. You can't. I mean, playing quarterback these days, even in the SEC, if you're – just completing 50% of your passes, that's terrible. Um, you, you can't be a quarterback, a starting quarterback, in, in the best conference in the world and complete, what do you complete, 52, 53% of his passes this past year? I mean, you, you just, that's unacceptable. So can you teach a guy to be accurate? I mean, maybe. Um, generally, I think guys are accurate. Um, you know, being accurate is more than just hitting the guy open. It, it's you know, in the NFL, it's tighter windows. It's making sure that that ball maybe is thrown up at a guy's head as opposed to at his chest. So, you know, I don't know if you can make a guy accurate like that. But, you know, he's a physical freak, um, and someone's going to make the investment in him. But it better be a team that doesn't have to play him right away because I think that would be the super best thing for him would be to learn for a couple of years before he's able to be uh, thrust into a starting role. A week from today, the NFL world will come to Indianapolis for the scouting combine. Mike, what holes do the Jaguars need to fill uh, that they'll be looking at in the combine? Yeah, the corner has to be one of their top priorities as this pass rusher. Um, you, you, don't, uh, you, you cannot survive in the AFC, and you can't make a run in the AFC if you can't get to the quarterback. With those quarterbacks in that conference, it's ridiculous. You're competing with Mahomes and Herbert and Burrow and Allen and Jackson, those guys every single year, you've got to be able to put pressure on the quarterback. I mean, it, the, it, the importance of that could not be any more blatant than what happened in the Super Bowl. Didn't the Eagles lead the league with 70 sacks and they didn't get to Mahomes once? Gave up 38 points. Uh, you got to get to the quarterback. So um, the Jags' two main, need, main needs are corner and pass rusher. And at 24, probably be able to end up with a corner that you like. I don't know if an impact pass rusher will be there. So I think, uh, you know, if, if I were guessing and we're you know, at this point right now, I would say that they would probably be leaning corner at that first pick. Mike, once things get underway and the season begins, we look forward to talking to you again. Certainly appreciate the time this morning. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Mike DiRocco, the ESPN writer for the Jacksonville Jaguars down in uh, the first coast, as they call it, in 
Jacksonville. Pretty good show today, Mark. Uh, Not too bad. We'll be watching the Pacers and the Celtics tonight, yep. I assume. We'll be watching it. Uh, so that's one of the things that we'll be talking about tomorrow. And then preview on IU Purdue as well. Oh, and all that stuff. Break down the XFL game. Or the Combine a week from today. So it'll be fun stuff. The big Seattle. Who does Seattle play tonight in the XFL? Oh, come on. I forget. The Battle Hawks of St. Louis. St. Louis, that's right. All right, well, we'll break that down as well. Hey, beautiful day out there. You guys have a great one. And, again, keep in mind, of course, midday show coming up at noon and then JMV 3 o'clock. We'll talk to you tomorrow.